unfinished business. If there's one thing I know is when someone is lying, then in my position is what he has to go on. To know a lie when he hears it, difference between life and death, your own, someone else's. That being said, he wasn't lying. That's not Nick Fisher. I know. The kid got issues. Do your intro. Where's my intro? That Do was it. Intro. That was the. In- yeah, it was the intro. Was Welcome it. to the Adam Dunn Show. I am your host, Adam Dunn. I'm your co-host, Mitch Chinasa. And we still got the kid. He's not yep. dead. He's not I'm dead. Here. The kid is I not dead. Here. I thought yeah. his name was Ryan. No, oh, no, no. Nobody knows that. At this point, at that point, yeah. It, n- Whatever. Don't tell everybody. Let it be noted that I'm trying. Sorry for the late intro. Um, and start to the show, but it was not late because Ryan left his phone at home. Not at all. And that or cutting out has phone. nothing to do with it either. Nope. We're not blaming anything today. Today we're not. We're gonna stop it. Stop. Because today we're having a great episode. Build yeah. the soil is bringing us a really cool episode on no-till organic soil, which, um, is, which is all the rage. Well, it's it's, it's, it's how farming works. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's how we've it's how the earth evolved, dude. You know, like plants drop seed before farming. It's how nature works, right? Like yeah, tree drops a seed, no one tills that soil, it just layers shit on top of it and it grows. That's right. And also uh That's right. Also with the people uh, with the idea of production too though, it's like it's out one day and things are moving that you know, things keep moving ahead and a lot of times it's uh it's it's that breakdown and starting over and sometimes your stuff is just getting ready too. So especially with organics, you know, it's not like it's instant. You know? Oh yeah, so much stuff isn't really even available in one plant cycle. It isn't even, you know. So, so you don't. So get then you have to get that background too to understand what's going to be breaking down at what point. And Jeremy's going to go all into all that. He also has Antonio Bacchus of Modern Microbes, uh, who is a no-till gardener and a bit of a soil geek. So he'll be able to give us a lot of good science stuff. And obviously, his Modern Micro Modern Microbes product is what Jeremy was talking about last time. Absolutely awesome product. Um, he basically looked at all the best soil microbes that are out in every other product and then found other ones, and we'll ask him more about it, and found it at the best possible price and mixed it all together in powder form so you're not paying for water. That's awesome. And then we also have uh, a bit of rosin to go through. A little bit, a little bit of rosin little in the house. Bit. That's a shit ton We're going to let Jeremy do a lot of the talking because uh, we'll be, we'll, what's we'll be it from? We'll be in the background. What's it from? It's from Chalice. It is exactly. But trash. there weren't this many rosin entries in Chalice. How did we get all these rosin entries? Smash the trash, wasn't it? Or That's smash right. the trash was, I believe, smash what we called the it. trash. <laughs> and then trash. people got really upset because we were calling it trash. And it wasn't trash. It was people's hard work. But that was just the, the non-winners, if yeah. you will. It's so pretty much all of them. Yeah. I mean, we could well, call it, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, it's a little. We had to, we had to get a little Thunderdome on it. Yeah, press exactly. the rest will work. Just press fine. the rest. <laughs> yeah, press the rest was the. Let's smash the trash. Press the rest of the so beautiful entries yeah. that were all hand delicate. Press the rest. So we pressed the rest that weren't winners that we didn't really want. to I just want to try the number ten because I know the number ten is the Skittles. Is the Skittles. So I'm interested. Oh, you know what? He didn't give us that one. I'm back. sure it's not in there. Really? That we haven't we haven't opened it yet. So but, uh, fresh fresh pressed rosin, courtesy of Rosin Technologies. You can check them out at Aqualab Technologies. Look it's all, with your knife. all linked uh, through Aqualab. Um, they I got their press. I Presses are shipping soon. This is all made with it. I it had my knife, too. That's huge. 
between, that's the one you put between your knuckles and you punch someone with that no, shit. No, you don't. You, you, don't. Don't. you save that one for when all the other ones are gone. This is a jugular. This is a jugular. Right jugular. Here. No, we're going <laughs> to. Adam Dunshow is now about knife fighting. Jugular. So, yeah, we got all these samples of fresh pressed rosin. Don't mess them all up now. Look at you. Courtesy you of. What kind of knife do you use? Aquabs. <laughs> <laughs> and rosin technologies, boom for the camera. Well, let's show them the rosin, not just the packets. But yeah, there's mad packets. They're numbered. The rosin chips still in there. So he wants us to figure out something cool to do with the rosin chips. Is that yeah, it? That's the plan. That's the plan. I cooked with some of them yesterday. Well, Brittany cooked with some of them yesterday. And tastes like shit, but I mean, it worked. Yeah, obviously, yeah. that's that's not then that's not a solid solution. Okay, in so my book. What oh. Skittles? So we're sure that this was numbered correctly. Positive. It's funny it ended up in our Trizash pile. Yeah, no, no, I remember going in. I was like, we're going to get some of the good shit, too. Smells good. Mm-hmm. Buttering a little. Wow. Yeah. That smells- oh, we did give them some of the good shit, too, just to press, I feel like. Uh, oh, yeah, at the last day, we were just like, here, take it all and press it. Take it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, like, take it all. So we got a ton of rosin to get through. I don't think we're going to get through it all this show, but we'll find out what the Skittles hype is all about. You're going to eat the chip? Eat the chip. Oh, eat I tried the that too. Chip. It tastes so terrible. Can you chew it you even? make a suppository out of it. No. Like right you can, now. You can chew it. It tastes, it tastes like a chip. Like you, know what I think consistency, you, but you know what I think you can do with it? Throw it in a bath. You think? <laughs> stank bath. Yeah, it will be a stanky it bath. It stinks, dude. Yeah, it's not really... It, the thing is, once you squeezed out all the goodness... Oh, I guess there's not much in... Well, there's there all is, the... There is a little all trapped on there, and yeah. stuff, but not enough to make a bath. If you had a bunch of them? <laughs> it's like a horse... Like the, all these? It would be like a horse trough, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be, it would smell like hay water. Sure, sure. That's what it would smell like. I know it. I you, could, you already... You I, sense it? Yeah, I know, for sure. But if you... I think if you just extract it into coconut oil is probably the easiest. And yeah. the That's exactly yeah. what I used was coconut oil. So And I think just doing it real used. slow. We just want to make sure we have Skype rocking, too, by the way, because oh, Jeremy's yeah. going to call yeah. in once we're through the talkie-talkies. Ah, Skypeage. Nice. Okay, so while, while Ryan's setting up Skype... I need the new password, though. Remember that. Oh, I don't remember. That's that's oh on you, God. then. All right, I'll find it. I'll find it. This is like me at home. I have that's a all I need. I've, I've, I've changed my password so many times because I just... I have a spreadsheet now. Oh, my God. Well, that in defeats the purpose of having a password. No, because you can't get to the spreadsheet unless you're in my shit. I have to have my password oh, to gotcha. get into the spreadsheet. So, yeah, so the, to get to your passwords? Yeah. How do you <laughs> <laughs> no, there's one password that he remembers. That's his master password. Master it's like having a, a, a locked box with all your keys in it. It's kind of weird. Just keep my yeah. key ring. And then, you have, and then you're like, I left my key in my box. Uh, I guess it's like the box of the valet. Like right, that don't box start, don't just go nuts over there, kid. Your job is to... I'm s- not going nuts. I'm just examining. He's examining, oh, seeing, seeing the quality. The rosin. They're exa- making a bit of rosin. The examiner. Making a bit of rosin. They've done it before. Rosin, as they like to call it. Rosin. No, that guy drives me nuts. Who's that? That Canadian guy. That calls uh, it Rosen. I can't stand when he... Yeah, I know exactly. He's on YouTube. Yeah. I uh, you can't stand it. There was a guy who posted... <laughs> I mean, he, he actually was wearing hoodlum at one time. It was kind of funny. So you can't stand... Guy, that guy obviously so makes the bad st- decisions. The stability on this stuff really came out. I'm just surprised. Came out, meaning yeah. it's not there? No, it's it's, it's nice. It's like stable. It came out well. Yeah, it's like... I mean, I shouldn't say it's it's mad stable. You definitely can't handle this with your, your fingers like a piece of shatter, but... It has that pull and snap shatter consistency. I'm just surprised. What, what number? To see you, what number are you handling? This one's number four. Okay. Number ten has that same so we, dark and color and though. And there's that list we can pull up on to from see Calus what's what. Has all the numbers. But I'm so surprised to just see it that dark. I mean, especially because I know how low they're pressing it at. So I'm surprised to see 
it that dark from that low of a temperature. Well, a lot no, of that stuff was green, light depth. That's you know true, what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't. It, a lot of it was run longer. I mean, that's why it was in the trash pile. Trash. Trash. You that's know. why the winner was in our trash pile because it was <laughs> fixed. Or was it? No. 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 Why do you say things like that? No, because we know that's not true. That's just the. That's just oh, because we know saying. that's not true. Yeah, that's know just know that's what everyone. That's <laughs> just what a lot of people are saying. All right. Enough of that bullshit. Um, we got Skype up and rocking. No, I'm trying to log in and make sure our password works. Is what's happening right here. So just give me a moment. Does sound okay for everybody on the chat room right now because it just seems like my computer's lagging real slow. So I just want to make sure that everybody. Okay, so the password is okay. the old password, the the one you hate. I don't believe so, but I'll it's give it a shot. I, ju- I changed it back to that. Uh, of course. Okay. What else are you gonna change? To? I hate that password, but not. Not because I hate the password. As much as Dread hates the uh, the news news, 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 news. I don't know how much Dread hates the news, news, news. So. The problem is we don't have. And you know news, what, Dread? Do you today. do you just hate the sound clip or do you hate Always Sunny as a whole? Is Dread in the chat room right now? I ha- let me check Probably. in with the chat. I just don't. I, I wonder. I want to know if he just hates Always Sunny as a show or if he just no, hates that he clip. Hates that just clip. hates that clip because he, he thinks they play it too loud. I think. Oh, it's so funny though. And too often. Too often. Too loud. And too loud. Do you guys want to do news today? We of course have to do news. I don't have my I, phone. Can so. I bring up news, news, news on my phone? Yeah, From absolutely. From YouTube, right? Yeah, just search YouTube, always sunny, news, news, news. That's all you have to search. I got it. I think you would have figured that out. I'm on it, in bud. This, in this day and age, I think a guy like Mitch, your, uh, being such a worldly guy, he might have figured figure out. Figure a thing or two out He'd be like, about hmm, let's YouTube. See. YouTube, I would go to The Simpsons, and I will pick out always a random sunny. phrase that needs nothing <laughs> to do with news, news, news. So how was your week? How was your week? How was your week? Not the password. Just saying. Oh man, we're locked. Dude, I just logged into it. It's funny because you have caps lock on. No, I always screw up my password. I don't know why. You should have caps lock on. So besides not being able to get into, now type it all. Yeah. What? What? Okay. All right. All right, you guys. Working on it. So, did you guys watch the um, John Doe radio show? No, I heard it was very good, though. I missed this week's. I, I set them up via I, I phone wanna, call. I, 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 you who? I set them up via phone call. I didn't so, you in. called them and told them how well, to no, set I, up? I, oh, I, I talked to Till on the phone, and then I just sent them an instruction. I, mean, I, thought you, I thought you said you set them up. I was like, no. you set them up. So, dude, I definitely am s- here. I will copy and paste Oh, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I remember. Actually, I was driving a while. I was driving down to my, to my mom's. Name? Is that like, that's our name, right? Pretty sure. I'll, I'll again I w- confirm. I was it. driving down to mom's listening to the show, uh-huh. and then I heard about how Ryan did not show up <laughs> to set up the stuff, and how they had to set it all up, and I'm sure it was. Oh, man. Uh, Everybody had to set up four mics on their own with an I instructions know. list. Hey. What is that shit? Hey. It's tough. I remember the day before, though. I heard, I'm going to be here. Yeah, I said I was going to come back, <laughs> and then I went out late. <laughs> oh. I was going to go to Slightly see, Stupid, that's, but that's there it. you go. I, so I remember. Tickets were sold out, so I went to see Jurassic World in 3D, and, and, and I was then, tired. And then what time, <laughs> and then what, and what time did you tell him he had to come here and set up all his own stuff? I texted him at, like, what time is the show? Two? <laughs> I think I texted him at, like, 1230. He said, right. hey, I'm not going to make it in. Maybe 1 o'clock even. Hey, I'm not going to make it in, but Maybe. here's an instructions list on how to set the four uh, mics all right. and plug them into your board. It was actually probably simpler because there was nothing set up, so he didn't have to move shit around. He didn't. Have, it was just boom, well, yeah, literally. He had to move everything around. If there's nothing set up. No, because before he has to change mics around, oh, and ch- it was okay. It was all rather right. all right. Anyway, it took him it was five just funny. minutes. But they did the show. It was funny because I had escaped. I was on my way out of town, so I didn't have to deal with it. I was like, I'm out of here later. So, dude, I got. And I wasn't in trouble. Capital anyway. A, capital D, and capital S in show in the in the login. 
There you go. Now, now you're looking good. So anyway, it was pretty fun to listen to. I didn't get to hear the, the better part of the show, though, which is obviously... Yeah, I guess Bike told Tim that the glass of water he was drinking from uh, had LSD in it. And because I, I knew they were starting to talk all about tripping and stuff, and that was how the show was all again started or something. So wait, so I, I because I missed the episode, they were talking about it. Bike didn't just go like, "Oh, dude," so or like, "Oh, dude, did you just drink from that glass?" Oh man, it was a, yeah, there, there was, was acid. There, there was talk. I mean, the thing is, there's been a lot of this has been a big year for acid. Did you see that article that came out? Yeah, yeah. yeah the, this is the summer of acid. Yeah, 2015 summer of acid. Another forty six years later, after the last one, or forty seven. Well, but the um, no, it's been so. It was, this generation's summer. I didn't do any acid this summer. No, poor you. Neither did I. So what, I we're out of the we're, we're out of the of past generation. Yeah, we're that was kid. Last, that was last year. Did you do acid this summer? Uh, wow. So, so not for all right. We're all out of the loop. So anyway, that that I need to go back and listen to that episode. It sounds like it was pretty funny. Yeah, definitely. So. Working on the login here. Amazing uh, how it takes t- two grown men to log into a Skype thing. Two grown men, yeah, one I'll Skype channel. Two men, one Skype. <laughs> and uh, we'll try this. So went down and saw the hashish house down in... Uh, yeah, tell Pueblo. me about this amazing facility. I saw a bunch of news articles about Pueblo. Yeah, no, just Pueblo's definitely got some, some, everyone's got some serious things going on down there. Even just going to their farm, there's a couple other ones along the way. And, you, you know, right off the road, and you can see people putting plants down and look right over the fence. There's 2,000 plants, you know, not at their spot, but um, coming to their spot. And then they, they have a nice, secure place and uh, 600 acres, so it's awesome. It's just great to see, like, uh, we'll be able to uh, see some stuff grown in all different conditions, which is kind of like what Colorado, I think, is people aren't really taking advantage of yet, is that that whole combination outdoor greenhouse scene is just coming to fruition, you know? And uh, so for all these hash strains and all these original strains that were, a lot of them were high altitude to begin with, you know? so Right, like, that's where they evolved from. So right? we're kind of in a perfect environment to do that, uh, especially for some proper outdoor grown, you know, Nepalese strains or... Afghani strains, or you know, we're actually higher up. I always thought that the Himalayas were a lot. Well, they obviously are higher than here, but right. But people living a lot lower, it seems like you know. Oh, really? They live in like the foothills of the Himalayas. They don't live like I guess it's fucking. People live all. People live, I'm sure, in all different conditions. But for the main part, is it like uh, where where Mark was at? He said it was only like uh, I think it was like fourth, like twenty nine fifty or three thousand feet or something. All right, so that's like. Like it was like fifteen hundred or maybe two thousand meters. What okay. It was, you know. What isn't that like six thousand feet? Isn't two thousand meters like six thousand feet? Yeah, I think he was even. So he like was lower. He was a low. little lower. Yeah, it was about a thousand feet lower. Okay. But anyway, in general, like for all those strains that are out there that um, can be climatized that quickly, hopefully, and you know, with the UV content and all those things that kind of come with this uh, terrain, I think we're in pretty interesting uh position especially in the next few years when people are going to have a chance to to put some more out because really the outdoor stuff has been kind of like tame here it seems like uh yeah our outdoor has been pretty i mean it's been cash crop good but it's nothing you really are into that's where it came from but also in general but well yeah the thing is it's so much hail here and there's such heavy conditions that you get like you know 50 50 chances even going to come to fruition on some of these things and 
can't really afford that on a large scale, but people like our friends over at Elite and stuff who are doing, you know, real gar- real real numbers outdoors. Real farming. Real numbers outdoors. I mean, they're definitely going to give us an idea of how, how you know, I wouldn't say easy anything is because it's not easy, but how the conditions lend itself and what strain is going to work good, which is kind of, you know, that's the, the ultimate goal. What are you looking for? That pen. Pen. You need a pen now? What producing the show, bud. Producing the show. When do we need pens? Doing my da- you're not the producer? You don't need a pen. It's either a dabber or, <laughs> or a torch. Yeah, that's this symbol should be a dabber. Say, you're absolutely right. If you think of a pack of Skittles and take a dab of that, yeah, yeah it's there. Yeah. It's on the back side. I mean, I think it, it definitely... It's a Morgan Freeman backdoor sample. That's when you <laughs> cue the Morgan Freeman backdoor sample. I mean, uh, it's not right, overwhelmingly right. Skittles, but it definitely does have a taste of Skittles in there if you you think about it. But, I mean, I feel like I could think about anything and it would taste like that. You think, yeah, think about a giraffe. I know it would taste like a giraffe. Yeah. yeah. What does a giraffe taste like? Is that exactly how it is? Underline is the capital. There you go. And that O isn't a number, it's an actual Oh, it is. Sorry. Sorry. You're absolutely right. So it's my password. Yeah, it's that password. I'm glad I wrote it down wrong, actually. All right, let me try this Gittles. Are you going to launch up your Vapor Brothers? The ultimate hash. Try it out of that because that's the flavor that I got it out of. At least I know you'll that get it. That nail. Sure, and that's but probably how everyone don't else Don't get it red hot. Low temp devs. Pretty low temp on there, yeah. What are you, the, what are you the dab god now? He knows more about concentrates. Then I do flour, for sure. That's for sure. Okay, well, that's, so that's still the same. It's not saying the password's wrong, <laughs> but it's saying Skype can't connect. See if you need to, like... Skype can't connect because the password's wrong. Not dude, it'll tell you the password's wrong, and then I'll ask if you forgot your password if the password's wrong. Do, like, a made-up password. Or maybe Skype just can't connect. See? Uh, I can't tell you what's... How about create a new account? I'll make another one for now. Right on. So, Jeremy, if you're listening, and I'm going to send Jeremy a message and let him know that we are working with this. Uh, Yeah, we are working through technical difficulties, but we're hoping for a permanent resolution in the very near future. And so tell me more about what the Pueblo thing. Like, how big? Can you talk about acreage in terms of plants? How many plants? Would no, well, no I know hemp, you pack them in there, but if you're everybody, growing... Everybody's a little behind the, the this year. Cause how many hectares? How many hectares are in an acre? Or is acres acres in a hectare? Hectares Short is the only person outside acres? of... Yeah, I mean, he's no, the only person here only, referring to. Only, hectare is real close to an acre. It's not that much. Longer. It was just like a metric. It's like 1.3 or whatever. Uh-huh. Is, you know, something, something like that. But, um, no, it's... Uh, Right now, everybody's just kind of feeling the... They're getting the first year under their wing. They're not really... Most people haven't done acreage, but there's definitely possibilities for it. Right. And, so uh, what would you say is, like, the max possibility that could be done on some of these bigger plots? Uh, I mean, people are shooting for doing 50 acres, I think, next year, you know? And then how many plants, how many plants is an acre? How many plants in an acre? Yeah. Well, I mean, you probably go about a 10-foot uh, hole-to-hole or a bit more, you know? Sure. Um, depends on... Really, the if you're gonna have a cover on them, or you're gonna keep them low, or nuts, so you're gonna try to do patches, you know. Because I think the interesting part is, is we were talking about earlier about land races and stuff. Is that if you're, I mean, you're gonna grow a Nepalese plant, you're kind of like, I think you'd be better off just to grow them in like a literally a wild, wild-like conditions to kind of simulate more the way they grow at home, you know, because right. they're not 
in 10 foot holes with tons of soil and they're going to end up with a skinny little sativa plant that's you know not used to what it's actually almost better to go and plant those things kind of in, in sections you know little little beds that have kind of support from each other and sure see what you know grow especially it depends on a couple you know, different mixes maybe you know and it depends on the plant count situation too because that's what's kind of like i think that's the big battle down there right now that's what they're really going to kind of do is right that's going to be the limiting factor everybody's on the, doesn't know which way to go because the uh um you know the med is kind of ha- changing the rules a little bit and listening to you know different conditions whether it be si- <coughs> plant count size or weight which would never make sense plant weight how do you wait like how are you gonna know like limitations Unclick all that shit on the left like you're allowed to have you know no, that's 20 right. twenty thousand pounds a year let's say or, or whatever but it's, it's that's so no, hard no, 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 I, got you. I just stopped it because i clicked all that stuff that's so hard is to limit the uh the weight because it's almost like saying like in Holland, where they were saying they wanted to talk about limiting THC c- to content, you're like, okay, that really, n- that makes no sense. First of all, but second of all, what are you going to do? Like, stop the plant at a certain point, or eliminate a plant because it goes over fifteen percent? That would, you know, that would make almost impossible these days. Well, did you see that? I read an article that somebody sent me the other day that scientists were learning how to add uh, UV light towards the end of the spectrum, and it was like increasing the the THC production just by adding like a shock of UV light like intense yeah, UV like light lightning uh, sort not of like lightning a, like a boom, but yes like a flash you mean, kind of like yeah like it would be intense bursts of UV lighting over a, a period of light. time a UV strobe but over it your be normal constantly lighting. right like your normal lighting would be on and then you would have a blast and, and of then you, high and then UV. you come in your room and there's a guy laying on the ground like twitching yeah. and foaming at the mouth that's pretty much Freaking out. great but they say that it increases THC production and I I mean I didn't read any more into it other than and you would like ran out and bought all this stuff and I, mean, like I bought every, every UV light that Target had yeah possible yeah. and started I don't even have plants in the ground I just figured I'd have them just in yeah. case yeah. Yeah. No. UVs. It's uh, and that's why that's where our high, high altitude situation is is uh, already there. You know, we already have a higher UV count. Right. Exactly. Today's a ten. a ten. Today's UV shit is a ten. A ten. This is the top. Really? Like, yeah. Wow. So like, don't go outside if you're a ginger, because no, it'll burn you like paper. Wow. Under a magnifying glass. So it's gonna I be this, the 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 so regular clear name. Out today. Okay. Cool, and the regular number. Yeah, for some reason. So we got our, our Skype installation Skype. was just corrupted. Yeah. Okay, cool. We are back. Skype's Skype. fixed. Two minutes. We're talking One about the Skype. future. Success. Wow, it's ringing already. No, I'm testing, doing a test. Oh, sound. I got you. In the meantime, um, where's that cable that you just threw me? Right here. So I got that. it. I'm going to need it back after news news for for, for Jeremy's Skype. Skype. Yes. Right. So I'm going to try to make this work. I don't know what my volume's like. Yeah, okay, crank your volume up a little bit. Right, my volume's max. Okay, so, don't so let's let's try that one more time. Hey, Marijuana can help treat opioid addiction. Study shows. How about that? I didn't. Uh, I didn't really get the skittles thing, by the way. A Columbia University no? study published published earlier this month took a group of sixty patients dependent on opiates and placed them in a clinic to detoxify. 32% of the patients were given 30 milligrams daily of dronabinol, a form of THC. That's uh, Marinol, right? Dronabinol? Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. Sounds like it. During treatment and was found was to it drastically... Is it start with D-R-O, dro? Yeah, yeah, dronabinol. Nice. 
Yeah, like hydro, nabinol, cannabinol, hydro. Hydro, nabinol. During treatment, and was found to drastically reduce the severity of withdrawals, and patients were more likely to complete the eight-week program. A further analysis showed that the percentage of patients who smoked cannabis regularly during the outpatient phase also showed significantly lower ratings of bad health symptoms as well. Participants who smoked marijuana regularly during the outpatient phase had significantly lower ratings of insomnia and anxiety and were more likely to complete the eight-week trial, researchers wrote. So, trying to kick dope? Smoke herb. That's what we learned today. Chris Christie keeps flapping his fat mouth. Chris Christie threatens marijuana crackdown. If you're getting high in Colorado today, enjoy it. And all I have to say to that is, we are. We certainly will. We certainly intend to. We certainly intend to. But I never thought I'd agree with him. Um, But later in this article, he says, if you want to change the marijuana laws, go ahead and change the national marijuana laws. And I totally agree with that. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you want to take it? Governor Christie, this this Skittles, this is Skittles, this is Skittles. 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 My, my torch, do I need a tor- torch? You're good. Torch? No, you're good. No, you're Hit it up. Low temp, bro. Low temp, bro. I mean, now you might need a torch since you waited so long. No, you can do it. Cap it. Where's the cap? Tell him how to cap it. Oh my god! Look at that. Two men, one jar. <laughs> Get a little Skittles. <coughs> Nothing. Well, now he's coughing too much. He's getting shit. But I didn't get it. I didn't. It's it's okay. That's fine. I mean, I feel like I just I you can got imagine a whatever you, you can imagine whatever the hell you want. Okay, I, can, I a there's a fruitiness to it. Yeah, like that's packed. It's somewhat skills. fruity. It's artificially fruity. You're artificially <laughs> fruity. Artifruit. It's somewhat fruity, sure. Okay. <coughs> okay. Try next one. All right. So, uh, pulling the trigger. Yeah, we're ready. We're ready to go after news, 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 man. We're doing. All right, get on the news then. What else we got? Um, we're doing. Hey, let's go. News, 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 news. Weed is probably not as bad as heroin, but I'm no expert, says the new leader of the DEA. So, I just want to say we're more qualified than the DEA to be the DEA. I am an expert to know that, yeah, weed is way less dangerous. The new head of the Drug Enforcement Administration sure knows his drugs, saying this week that marijuana is probably not as dangerous as heroin. In fairness, acting administrator's remark came as a qualification for an initial reluctance to endorse the relaxing of cannabis laws, but was a little confused nonetheless. If you want me to say that marijuana is not dangerous, I'm not going to say that because I think it is, Rosenberg said. But I can I call him Rosenberg? But do I think it's as dangerous as heroin? Probably not. I'm not an expert. That's what he actually said. Probably not. And then, I'm not an expert. No, but okay. How can you, even if you hate marijuana, how can you say that you even think that it's anywhere close to as bad as heroin? Well, they never never answer. Every time they've been asked, it's been like... Like, how is it as bad? And then what he ever says? They say we can't... All drugs are bad. That's basically just what they say. Drugs are bad. Drugs are bad. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> literally answer that though. Don't do drugs. Okay, drugs are bad. So you can't overdose on cannabis, so no one has died from. Well, you they said that one guy on did. Cannabis. They said that one okay. guy died. No, yeah, no. The only way you can overdose, or the only way cannabis can kill you, is if you drop your weight's worth of bud on you from like twenty five feet from the air. You know? oh. Silo of weed. Yeah, that's like Dude, you're the first guy ever. You're the first guy. First ever. person to ever make that. I'm. I'm. I'm yeah. First person to ever make that. That, joke. that analogy. Yeah. 
It actually happened in India. Hey, news, 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 news. How about this one? The suspended cops. Remember the cops that were eating the edibles in the shop? We love those guys. They say that the video, the security video that they tried to prevent by knocking down all the cameras and then hastily and brutishly like tearing the security system and down. And just didn't get them all. Yep. they uh, There was one camera that they didn't catch, and it caught them being assholes. And now they're trying to say that that shouldn't be brought up in their internal investigation with the police department because it violates their privacy. Because they say they had an expectation of privacy because they took down all the cameras. And therefore, it shouldn't be. Right. So then, technically, the need for anybody to possess a burner phone should be not happening. Because I should be able to have a right to privacy on my cell phone. I should be able to have a right, but they can tap my cell phone whenever they want to. Or they can pull up old text messages. Or they can yeah, and access... Really, I mean, like any video of anyone committing any crime should... If that's... I'll even let the cops get the pass on this one. Like, fine. All right, guys. Let's change the rules. The new rule is video doesn't count. Videos just don't count anymore. Okay. I'll take that. But uh, I don't know. Slippery slope. Slippery slope police. Police don't understand slippery slopes. They don't. Policing itself is a slippery slope. However, watching cops on slippery slopes. Hey! This one's good news for bikers. Study says marijuana helps heal broken bones faster. Good news for bikers. Good news for bikers. You like that? They fall off their bikes. They break my bones. Forget milk, because in addition to helping PTSD sufferers and chemo patients, it looks like weed could also help heal broken bones. Milk actually makes your bones weaker past a certain age, right? Right. but we- Like osteoporosis and shit? Yeah, but it's like... Promote yeah, strong yeah. bones when you're like anyway, five. Anyway. Tel Aviv University says... Tel Aviv? Yes. Got that, that bong I got you in Tel Aviv? CBD. Bong mitzvah. Hit it up, bro. Had bones grow <laughs> grew back faster and stronger than before. And it seems to prevent future injury. It's my cat's birthday today. So it's, good for, cake. it's good for osteoporosis. What are you wearing? Suit? Kimono, dog. See this? There's no hair under here. Mm-hmm. Makes me more aerodynamic when I fight. I can take danger. So for you to come in my house and not tell secrets because you think you're protecting me. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. You said Tel Aviv and I got a Pineapple Express. Oh, but yes, it is It is. It is uh, yeah. Danny McBride. Yes. But yeah, you said Tel Aviv and I had, I had no option. You had no, no option. option. No, you had to go I, into how Pineapple often does somebody Express. get to say Tel Aviv or hear Tel Aviv in their regular sentences? So yeah, you how have often? to make the What's reference. Like Israel's in the news actually a lot. But I don't watch the news often enough to be able to make it. Nor what am I going to make a Tel Aviv? Ha ha, the guy in the news said I make the funny reference to my TV and start quoting it to myself. Might have been, that might have been <laughs> the proper <laughs> context <laughs> for that. Yes. Pretty silly. Yes. Uh, yo, rig me over here. Give me that. Rig me up. All right, so this one is the moss fish. It tastes just like moss and fish, they say. Moss fish? Moss fish is this. Oh, that's exactly the combination I want. Yeah, so moss tell me, kid, if it tastes like moss and fish. Number six? Yeah, the moss fish. Right? What? It's going to taste like moss and fish. Is that what it's called? Sure. It's the moss fish. Where are you reading? Where, where did you get that? I got the email from Dougie. Hey! Let's go! News, 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 news,
It smells good. Taking cannabis in your teens is not linked to depression, lung cancer, or asthma in later life reveals. All right, Mr. Torch. Using marijuana as a teenager does not appear to be linked to health problems such as depression, psychotic symptoms, or asthma later in life. Contrary to mad people who claimed all those things. Contrary to mad people. (laughs) (laughs) Ha. As part of a study, researchers tracked 408 Pittsburgh males from adolescents into their mid-30s. Oh, they couldn't have tracked anywhere better. Pittsburgh I mean, sucks. It's interesting that they yeah, chose Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh sucks, man. So I bet you have higher than average rates. No offense to Jess and Antonio, no, but Pittsburgh sucks. Pittsburgh. Around 54% were black, 42% were white, 4% were of other races or ethnicities. The men in the study were divided into four groups based on their reported use of marijuana. Groups who included lower non-users, which were 46%, early chronic users, 22%, and participants who only smoked marijuana during adolescence, and those who began using marijuana in their teen years and continued using the drug. Based on previous studies, the researchers expect to find a link between teenage marijuana use and the development of psychotic symptoms, for example, delusions and hallucinations, cancer, asthma, or respiratory problems later, but they found none. The study also found no link between teenage marijuana use and lifetime depression, anxiety, allergies, headaches, or high blood pressure. So there are studies that claim all those things, and they're all bullshit. Of course. It's the long the and short. It's all, always the opposite, too. Like, oh, yeah. actually, oh, it actually cures that. Yeah. Oh, it actually makes your bones stronger. It actually so makes your memories come back. Was that, was that look? Was that going? It, it, was, it was clean. It was good. It tastes like fish and moss. I think you made that up, so I'm not going to comment on any of that. Because well, I just wanted just to know if the name... Like, as soon as you say that, I feel like I started kind of tasting, like, there you a go. mossy thing. You know what proven. I mean? Like, you can proven. do that. Facts proven. Even though I knew so in my head that you made that up, I still felt like, oh, well, maybe now it kind of kind of does taste like that, you know? But so now we good, really though. don't know about the Skittles. Right. But it was good. I liked it. It was smooth. It was clean. And uh, and I took a pretty big dab. All so right. Let's, uh, with all that said and done, are we good to go on Skype? Uh, give me this up, and we shall be good to go. Cool. I will pull the trigger with Jeremy. And shoot the guard at the right time, hopefully. It makes me feel like you're playing, like, Splinter Cell. No, Kyle told me he plays this uh, bank robbing game. I've never played it, but it sounds really cool. Have you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um. Yeah. You I live feel like with I him, feel so like I heard him saying you have, like, a certain amount of time to Well, you do rob all this you do different kinds of robberies. There we go. Trigger's pulled. See, that clerk is dead before you hit the button. There you go. Welcome to the Adam Dunn Show. Hey, can you guys hear me okay? We can, buddy. Crystal clear. You sound great. All right on. So this is Jeremy from Build the Soil in the house, and are you linking Antonio Bacchus? How's that? How are we doing that? You know, I wasn't sure how we'd do that, and he so I, I've and got him, him uh, on ready one. on Facebook, and he said he'll call in whenever we want to. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. With can... the delays, and I figured we'd just kind of play it by ear, and then I wanted to cover a lot of the basics, and then once we get a little deeper into the, a couple of these questions, specifically the microbes and some other things, that's probably when I want to bring him on and ask him a few questions. That sounds if wonderful. That sounds okay? Yeah, and I want to yeah. let you know, we, you know, we, we're going to have the full time. We're going to keep the show rocking. We've you know, got two hours we're from right, now. we got like about 50, t- 50 kinds of rosin to smoke today, too. Yeah, so, so we're, we're busy. We're busy. <laughs> you, so the floor is yours, good sir. All right, awesome. So uh, one of the reasons, Mitch, uh, you and I were talking about, you know, what topic we should bring up and... You know, no-till has been a topic and a subject for a long time, and it's really what we built build a soil around is that style of gardening. And essentially, it's just copying the best outdoor practices 
and bringing them indoors. And for a long time, you know, I didn't think it was possible, and that's why I was using the traditional practices, the bottled nutrients, uh, some of the prepackaged, you know, mediums like cocoa, sunshine, pro mix, all of these other things. And, you know, there, it's not that that system doesn't work. It's just that I wasn't congruent in my life with how I was in other areas. I like to do stuff myself. I like to eat organic and healthy. And so when I started learning more about the soil and how nature works, you know, Mitch mentioned on the beginning of the show that in nature, you know, nobody comes with a till and gets things done. And it's really impactful when you visit a place like the Redwood Forest or when I'm in Colorado where you're on a hike, you're in the middle of nature. And you just take it in. You're like, man, there's no fertilizer salesman coming here, and it's all working pretty well. Yeah, it's all so, it's all balanced. Everything's not everything's healthy, but the healthy ones are healthier, and the, there right, are and the unhealthy percentage. Yeah, and there's an ecosystem there. So uh, obviously, I'll be walking through, and I'll notice there's one weak tree that may be getting just ravaged by the bugs, and it's probably not going to make it. But the other ones are pretty devoid of any problems whatsoever, and so. The idea of a clean room or something that's totally sterile, it starts to become a challenge when you start growing 24-7, 365, day in, day out, and especially when you go perpetual or you're starting to farm. And, you know, real farms, agriculture, they have percentages of loss. They're working with integrated pest management practices, and they spend a lot of money researching it because, you know, crop loss is a big problem. But as the... Uh, margins start to lower in our industry as more people get involved and get smarter about their cultivation. Uh, the people that are spending wasteful amounts of money on their nutrients, on wasting water, on you know whatever else it may be, pesticides, uh, they won't be able to support that financially you know, in the future because the people that are doing it right will really get it down to the pennies and make sure that they're competitive. So there's a couple reasons why no-till is gaining popularity. For one, you know, obviously, if you're perpetual like I am and you've got seedlings and clones and you've got some veg and some in the flower room, um, immediately you start to wonder, hey, is there a way where I, I don't have to mix up, you know, three, four, five different nutrient concoctions? Um, first time you want to go on vacation as a grower or if you need to leave town for any reason, you start to question your system and you start to wonder, you know, really how dependent it is upon you as the grower. And so... Uh, we start moving towards no-till, which is more a way of being a steward for the plants as opposed to being the master. And I think that there's a difference in philosophy that comes into play there. And whether you're growing for yield or just for quality, there's ways that you can devise your own no-till style system. So I guess what I'll start with is what is no-till for those that are just listening in for the first time. Uh, essentially what we do as far as the indoor practice goes, which is what I'm mostly going to be talking about today, of course all of this can be translated outdoor, is we take a larger than normal soil volume because that's, that is a now our nutrient source and we're no longer going to be feeding bottled nutrients. So where you might use a two, three, four, five gallon container and utilize some nutrient bottles, my preferred method is to go up 10, 15, 20 gallons in a container and some people even do 100 gallons with multiple plants in there. And so that is a decision you'll have to make based on your grow room. But the whole idea is that you build a proper soil that has everything it needs, and you utilize mulch and a few other techniques so that when you harvest your plant, you no longer have to dump the soil out and start back from square one. And so what we're, we're hoping to do as we get generations down of harvesting and then, and then just replanting a plant right back in that same container the goal is to actually evolve the system over several harvests where it gets better with time 
as opposed to having to always start at square one. And that square one is where you may have to do more bacterial inoculations. You might require some more additives or plant treats, as I call them, just extra stuff. And as you go forward, your soil gets ramped up with life. You'll notice different critters. There'll be a whole ecosystem. It becomes more like nature in that it's really hard for a pest or a pathogen to just break in and, and ruin everything. Well, there's, it's and easy so, to take over when there's a vacuum, right? That's, that's what... Yeah, when there's a vacuum. I, nature doesn't like a vacuum. I forget the quote, nature abhors a vacuum. It's Einstein, right? Said that, I think that's Einstein. Maybe. Yeah, right. It, it makes a lot of sense. And you know, I notice elsewhere in life, you're not going to see something that just sits there and stays the same. Guaranteed it's going to change. There's going to be breakdown. And so in that ecosystem, when we have soil mites running around eating fly larvae, and when you have you know, beneficial critters that are living in your system... Uh, you might notice a few gnats, but they never take off and start flying. There's never a population boom. You might notice a few things crawling in the soil you can't describe, but the plants are healthy. And so it takes a different perspective where there's a little more faith. Um, and I know that a lot of times people getting into this style the first time, they'll message me with photos of a soil. Oh, my God, am I about to lose my whole crop? You know, we're like, nope, it's a soil mite. Actually, it's a great sign. And then eventually you get mushrooms, and eventually you start to see all sorts of stuff with worms, and a life takes off. So worms so just show up, like nematodes or something, just they show up on their own? Kind of, I mean, almost like mice show up in your house. It's not like they just show up magically, but... Right, it's not spontaneous where generation, but... there's a system there, stuff shows up, yeah. So they find their way in. So, so with the size of the pots, when you're saying five gallon, like obviously for it would be too small. But what would be the the sort of starting point, like a thirty gallon or a forty gallon or yeah. something? So like the that? way I look at it is depending on your style. Now, I've done lots of different size containers, so I have real world experience with all those different sizes. And while I like the thirty gallon, the reason I chose those based on a four by four or a five by five tent is that the geopots are twenty four inches in diameter and they're square bottom. So if you put four of those in your 4x4, four four, you've got a wall-to-wall -wall batch of soil in there. Mm -hmm. And you can still move without having to dig in, where if you just have a big bed. The challenge is, is 30, 30 gallons of soil is really heavy, and it's not ideal for everybody. And so my ideal size, as far as just for everybody to start maybe playing with, is 10 to 15 gallons. And at 15 gallons, that's two cubic feet of soil, uh, if it's a heavy soil like ours with compost and everything, you're looking at about 50 to 70 pounds. And so with the handles on there, uh, it's kind of like grabbing a 50-pound bag of amendments. It's totally doable. Anything above that, it starts to get a little harder to move if you need to. Sure. So that's about my ideal. Of course, the rule of thumb here is the more soil, the better. So if you've got a situation where you own the house, you can put huge beds of soil on wheels or just permanently on the ground, uh, it'll make things a little bit easier because you can leave town for a little longer. You can implement some drip watering systems or whatever it is. But uh, what I'm going to talk about for practice here on the episode is just a 15-gallon container and how we might implement that. And just so everyone knows that's listening, at the same time, I just started doing some GoPro videos, and I haven't released any of them yet, but I will after this episode. And what I'm doing is just slapping a camera on my head so you can see what my hands are doing while I transplant the plants, showing you how I bend and train. And right now I've got four 15-gallon no-till containers that are brand new, just got set up in the last few days, and I recorded that video. And that way for the next 60 to 90 days, you can follow along with this no-till setup, see what it yields, see kind of how fast it grows. That way you'll be able to decide you know, for yourself if it's worth investing a portion of your grow room in the no-till style. Uh, but in any case, that's besides the point. So what we're getting into to start is essentially you need to get a, 
get a good soil recipe together. And that's essentially going to replace all of your bottled nutrients. So you want to make sure you have really premium ingredients. And at the core of that is the compost. And uh, there's two types of compost we usually work with. is just a regular compost or a worm casting. And when we mix those together, that is the life that we'll be adding to actually make it more of a soil instead of just a peat moss mix. And at that point, the dry fertilizers that we put in will slowly beat out the microbes to time release. That way the plant can continue to grow. And so we mentioned, I think you guys talked about the breakdown period of nutrients and some of those questions, and I'll go a, a little bit into that, but um, someone on Facebook, when I mentioned the Adam Dunn Show, mentioned Ruth Stout, and she's one of those gardeners. I think she has a book called uh, The No Work Garden, something like that. Uh-huh. And, and when it goes into no-till and you, you start reading all these books about no-till gardening, the secret that they say is why they don't have to add fertilizer is they're making some of their own compost. But essentially, um, when I look at all these different soil tests from people that are wanting to amend their soil, we notice that most organic soils that utilize any compost, they usually have plenty of P and plenty of K. And so one of the limiting factors would be the N. And once the microbial life gets really ramped up, we start using mulch layers and cover crops, we almost don't have to start keep adding N because now it can fix it from the atmosphere. We have microbes that are going to work breaking down the mulch and stealing some nitrogen from that, adding it to the soil. So this is where in the future you buy your soil, of course there's an upfront cost, but as you keep it in the same place, you keep gardening in the future, you're not going to have to add any PK boosters. You're not going to have to add back as much nitrogen because you've got all the micro life breaking the mulch down as you add it. And if you're using a little bit of cover crop in between or maybe even during the grow, you're going to have some of those sugars being put in. It's going to be tilling the soil up for you, so you don't have to do any of that digging. And, and that's, that's just the by, roots. by the roots growing, yeah. Yeah, so essentially it's, it's do-nothing farming. And the, the, way, the reason I say it like that is the first book that really opened my eyes to the possibilities, more of a philosophy book on farming. It's by Masanobu Fukuoka. And it's called The One Straw Revolution. I think we've talked about that before, Mitch. Yeah, I was, I was actually thinking about that book totally unrelated uh, yesterday. Yeah, it, it's a killer book. And it's one of those that if you own it and you just pick it up, flip to any page and just read, you'll, you'll have something that is worth reading again and again. And so there's a lot of different quotes in there that I refer back to in my philosophy with no-till. But essentially, he does almost nothing. He tries to add nothing special whatsoever. He's not brewing compost teas, doing any special additives. And when you get into the heart of the book, he's able to prove that he's growing rice, completely the opposite of convention. No flooding the fields, no hand transplanting. You know, none of these practices in his rice is more nutrient-dense, higher and higher quality, bigger yields. And it's not like the whole country's converted because of this book, but there is a underground awakening of no-till farmers that are really curious about how he was able to use nature uh, and have a, a farm in production without killing with a tractor, without doing any of the standard processes. And so and once you start to see that it's actually possible, it opens your mind to all these thoughts. It says in there that he yielded, you know, more than, than the, far more than the average in Japan for the season, right? Like yeah. he set the government record or whatever? I don't remember the specifics, yeah, but there is definitely parts that said he yielded more than the average, and they'd have government employees and college people would come and visit his property. They'd have the entomologists come by that are into the bugs, and they'd say, okay, why is yours working when you're not doing pest spray? And they'd come, and the expert, he would make sure that, he always called the experts, uh, forget how he referred to them, but basically said they were too narrow-minded and really focused. They couldn't see the big picture 
uh-huh. that happens when you run the whole farm. And so he would say, look, at, you're going to have a problem. There's this type of bug. And he goes, well, that's okay because this bug will eat that. And eventually what he found out is that each year it was different. There would be different predators that would show up, but either way, the whole ecosystem would balance itself. And so indoors, obviously, there's a little bit of faith. And so that's, I think, what's kept the no-till from really taking over is that um, when you're farming, it takes three months, six months, however long it's going to take you. So people are hesitant to change immediately, especially when you say there's going to be bugs crawling around. Well, and it's going to be cover crop. And, and all you're worried stuff. that, Sounds crazy. that how, how, just as I asked you before, the worms really get up into your bins, you know, like, hey, there's a there's a fundamental like, are you really gonna are they gonna find their way into my basement? Like I get outside yeah. on a farm, stuff's flying around, and you'll get parasitic wasps or whatever. But in my basement, yeah, and it's not going to be all of them. Of course, you're not going to get parasitic wasps, and you're not going to get lace wigs flying around. But you may uh, sometimes they hitchhike your way in, and what you'll find is you'll find more of these if you have an outdoor garden as well, and you're doing vegetable gardening and everything else. But what happens is most of us don't just do the basics because it's the hobby. We fall in love with it. It becomes a passion. And so the normal course of events is most people get some soil. They notice that it grows healthier plants. There's no tip. The tips of the leaves aren't burned at all, and they're not curling whatsoever. And so there's this relief that you're not now having to decide what it's going to eat. The plant does its work. And eventually, as you go on, you start to you know, find out that, oh, maybe if I had my own worm bin, I wouldn't have to spend so much money buying some of this compost. And so all of a sudden you're recycling your, old, your spent cannabis leaves, you're recycling some of your food, you're making your own compost from using your own stuff, which will eventually happen if you start this style. You'll get worms in there because there will be worm cocoons and stuff in your worm bin. Sure. Because you're making your own compost, right. that's going to bring in all the beneficial critters and usually none of the bad ones because you compost it to temperature and then put it through a worm bin. And so those are stuff we'll talk about in later episodes. We can get into more details, but... It, it becomes a lifestyle, and so you can certainly just copy a no-till setup and get some good results. But as you go forward, this whole ecosystem starts because it starts to take over your life. You start changing your diet because you want to put better food into your compost, and it, it does have an effect on every area of your life when you start this process. You know, so, it's perfect. Right? Um, I guess the question would be, like, why no-till? I get a lot of people that ask, you know, they're like, I'm perfectly why do, fine why buying don't these you... bottled nutrients. They're pretty right. cheap. You know, I can just keep on going. And so there is a philosophy that kind of comes in of of working with nature, and you start to look at the ingredients in the nutrient bottles. You know, a high percentage of it is water. We're in a drought. We're shipping plastic bottles full of water with a few active ingredients all over the place. Then you start realizing that it takes a lot of your life and your time, and you're mixing up different recipes at different times. And eventually somebody has to leave town, and you tell someone else to water for you, and the crop's not as good as it should have been. And so after all this happens and you spend some time in the industry, usually people start contacting me saying, hey, is this real? Could we just use the soil and not have to go through all these challenges we're going through? And it typically takes a little bit of a learning curve change. And so watering is one of the big changes that will occur. Uh, we don't do wet, dry cycles anymore, and so that's a little bit of an issue. We have to start focusing on that. Uh, using a mulch indoor is usually something new for people, so we kind of discuss why. Um, but eventually, the whole reason why we're doing this is it's not just about yield. And people that get good at this process can certainly yield really well. But it's about the cost per pound or the cost per gram or whatever you want to break it down to and about not being wasteful. And there's a sense of pride in knowing that I made the compost, I used minimal fertilizer inputs, and I got a really high-quality product. And it was lower cost per pound because we kept the soil each year and didn't have to spend as much. 
And so when I work with people that are all spreadsheeted out and working on their grow room setup and they've got their head grower and they're responsible for the genetics and maybe they want to talk about implementing some of the soil, most of them start off not doing no-till. They just want to have soil brought in and they want to start from scratch each time. And I think the reason is is they want to have the same duplicatable result every single time. And once you get into no-till, I, I really feel like it starts to get better as bigger soil system. You guys there? Yeah, we're still here. Keep going. Sorry about Yeah, we had a little crackle. Okay. So, so the bigger soil system is really what leads itself to the engine of getting a good yield. And I feel like a lot of people that jump into no-till, they're like, okay, perfect. I'll try this. They use a five-gallon container. They pack it with soil. And then they continue their same practices. So oftentimes they'll use a big pitcher of water and just dump water on it really fast. It'll kind of rut into the soil. And there won't be any mulch. And so there's a lot of evaporation of moisture off the top, and it's drying out in the top of the container. And then the plant gets root-bound about the time they're about to put it into flower, and then they call me asking, hey, why are leaves yellowing up, and why is it not yielding as well as, it, as, as, well as I thought of? And so a lot of times that's just because a five-gallon, in my opinion, is just way too small to do the average size plant that we're looking for. And because we're not putting soluble nutrients right into the soil, now watering is very important because if we disturb the soil, if we're not mulching and it's getting dry all the time, uh, now the biology of that five gallons of soil, 20% is probably gone in the top few inches. And so now it's got less power to work with. And then if you're letting it get dry and then wet between waterings, all of it's dying and then having to rebuild the population back up again or going dormant. And so really all those bacteria and fungi are what are dissolving your nutrients and feeding the plant. And so there may be plenty of fertilizer in your soil in that five gallon, but if that plant starts to grow too fast and outpace the ability of your soil to deliver those nutrients, it's not going to be a good experience. And so from there, if you're in that situation, you can always top dress with some compost and some nutrients, immediately follow that with some faster release organic stuff like amino acid powders, compost teas, you know, things like that. And you can certainly keep a living system going in a smaller container, but the shortcut to an easier life is just to ramp up, go 10, 15 gallons keep your plant slightly smaller before you put it into flower so you're certain there's enough for some root stretch to match the canopy stretch and that's where we have success using water only and having a full harvest where it fades properly has a nice finish to it and everything looks good and that's and what's so, super crazy what's is that you're not you're not inducing that fade at all you're giving it no. it, it has it in fact and it's, it's not that it has. burns through all the nutrients in the soil, because you can put another plant right into it. As a matter of fact, there are other plants still going in that soil, right? Yeah, and so immediately you harvest, you immediately plant another plant back in. Now, depending on how the grower feels, like if you're in a 100-gallon container and this is a brand new, you're just going to plant right back in and probably do nothing, and it's going to have plenty of nutrients to keep going. If it's in a 15-gallon, you'll probably follow our process where you're going to harvest and then you're going to do a little compost top dress, add a few nutrients to the top of the soil after you transplant and essentially, it's because we're taking biomass out. So eventually, right. we're going to have to add something back in. But you're right. The proof that the senescence or that the plant fade happens on its own is that there's still nitrogen in the soil, but it's yellowing and redding and purpling and whatever else all on its own. And so I don't know if it's genetically built in into a time frame or how it works because it's definitely triggered by environment. I mean, if I grow something outdoors in different temperatures and the sun is slightly <laughs> different, I get different colors and I may get a slightly different fade, but I'll notice 
plant for plant under the same exact grow conditions. If they're different genetics, I'll have one fade to complete yellow and crisp up, and some will stay really dark green. And I think that what that reveals to me as a grower is the true genetic potential, meaning, hey, some of these I can run longer than I thought. Before, I would have guessed and forced a flush a couple weeks early because I needed to harvest. Whereas when I'm perpetual, time goes out the window. So I've got a no-till soil. I can water all of them at any time. I can harvest it at any time. And so now you're allowed to see that true genetic expression where it'll fade on its own. Um, so now do you have multiple... If you were as a grower to put too much nitrogen and force feed that soil, it's not going to fade like it should. And so when we're in a no-till, I believe we're operating on the system where the plant has to work the hardest to get its nutrients, and that's what I want. I don't, I don't want a soil abundant with nutrients. I want the soil and the plant to work really hard together to keep that ecosystem going. Where if you're top dressing too much, feeding teas every single time, I feel like you're getting into that lazy phase again, and so the plant will start to just take up what you give it. Like you get more and active where you don't get and that the plant gets phase. more lazy. Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you also, uh, I, I do love that part, though, that, that as you do more of the plants and the soils. Um, actually, I'll, I'll just let you continue on that note, rather. I did have a question for you, but it went out the window with the rosin. Hey, that's okay. That's okay. I know you guys got like 50 packs of rosin over yeah, there. I'm kind of yeah. jealous. But, Dude, there's uh, a bunch here. <laughs> I brought a little herb into work today to make sure I got my head straight before we got in the air. Nice. It's always a little stressful, and I feel pretty relaxed, so we'll just keep talking. Um, if I'm rambling at all, just interject, ask questions or whatever. But yeah, no, you're, essentially you're that, that note that I was talking about is there's a couple of different systems you can operate, and I'll try and relate it to a Oh, human. I do remember my question. Uh, if I could throw that in. Yeah. What's just up? So, what's up? You know, in, in an ideal case, I guess, are you running like a huge bed uh, with every strain that you're running, you know, goes from veg into a bloom bed, essentially, and that bed is turning over at the pace of individual plants and just getting replanted where there's a spot? Yes and no, and this is where the grower is going to have to come up with their own system, much like the farmer where yeah, they have to work with the own geography of their own soil. And so a lot of these are adaptable, but for instance, I just don't have any time or room to put a 100-gallon bed of soil in my tent because I don't want to have to dig it back out and move it at some point in the future. But if I was in my basement, I could really do it. You know, There's a guy, Blue Jay, uh, Mountain Organics, and he's pretty much at the forefront of a lot of the no-till. And he's got huge containers, 45 gallons, 100 gallons. He'll put three, four, five, six different cultivars in there and let them do their thing. I was gonna say and I know that a lot of people feel like intermingling the roots and doing that process works really well. But my challenge is, is do you have a separate bedroom? and you just plug plants right into there. Yeah, that's, that's and I what believe I what Blue did is he stopped going perpetual and started just vegging in the same room and flowering in the same room to eliminate the problem of plugging into a big bed later and allowing the plant to really be untouched through its life. And I feel like his yields look pretty good from that. The quality, if you follow his Instagram, it's just incredible. Now, you so, could, obviously. You could, so he's you still cycling. So your... he's cycling, but he's... But he's uh... He's just planting them in the bed, like planting the, the, the babies in the bed and then just growing it in that bed. In the same yeah, yeah. And, then, and, but yeah. and so there's a process. You know, yeah. people would take the veg out of maybe, let's say, a two-gallon. It's big enough. They'd walk into their big bed in their flower room. Mm -hmm. And maybe they'll veg that bed for a couple more weeks. Maybe it's in perpetual flower and half of it's already flowering and you just have to plug and play. But either way, at transplant, a lot of times we've just harvested a plant from the same spot. And so most of the time, there's a little bit of a process where we might do a top dress of a little neem cake, maybe a little kelp meal, maybe a little fish meal, stuff that we keep on hand as an organic gardener as the, the staples, so to speak. You know, kelp and neem are two of my favorites. And when you top dress with it, not only does it add some fertilizer, but it helps prevent any of the uh, 
uh, pests that are normal, like the fly eggs and some of the other stuff. So constantly keeping in mind that integrated pest management while you're continually top dressing a soil, it's crazy. It just builds organic matter on organic matter and organic matter. And I'm pretty sure Blue was talking the other day how after a long time, he would actually be able to take a 100-gallon geopot that he'd been growing in for 10, 15 cycles and dump it out, and it's a mostly worm castings at that point. The worms had been working it. The roots had broken it down. The bacteria had eaten it up. And so in his mind, he said, look, I could keep this going and producing, and it's just going to get better. Or I can take this one container, split it, add fresh peat, add fresh pumice, and now triple the soil that I had on my farm, start three new containers instead of just one, right. and keep your inputs really minimal. And so it's a way to grow your farm you know, every few years. So the no-till can have a life t- cycle of you know, five years, ten years, however long you want to keep that container, or this might be something you do every couple of years. Uh, your own style is going to be how you do it. For instance, Blue doesn't use any compost teas. And I talked to Clackamas Coots. He doesn't use compost teas. He might make a slurry at best. But he prefers to just put his castings and his compost right on top of the soil and introduce it where the plant's going to grow and let it in. I think the argument for the compost tea is that sometimes it costs money, and if you don't make your own castings, you want to stretch them as far as you can. And so that's where brewing the teas you know, can be an advantage, uh, especially from a cost level. So everybody, when they get into no-till, is going to have to make their own decisions on their own personal you know, comfort level on how they're going to run their system. But... Ultimately, all you need is a good soil recipe that at the cornerstone has some good compost. From there, you need a good mulch, which could be, I like to use barley straw, and I'll talk about that, but we want to cover the soil. That way, we're using less water. And then if you were to stick your fingers through my barley straw, you'd notice it's always moist on top. It's never dry. And it just happens when you use a mulch. Now, that's a sound and bite. And so that'll, yeah, that'll awesome. create that, that whole that was ecosystem a sound bite. that we're yeah. looking for. Just stick your fingers. What's going on? I can't see you guys. Just stick your fingers right through my barley straw. It's always <laughs> moist. <laughs> can't use the words like stick your fingers Yeah, you said stick your fingers and moist <laughs> in the same <laughs> sentence. Stick your and, fingers deep um, in my yeah, moist okay. barley that's straw. Been, that's beneath the maturity level of this room. words like that. Yeah, it's tough. Beavis, beavis, uh, but essentially what happens is, like I said, it stays moist on the top. And so um, uh, we were talking about big containers, small containers. What I was trying to keep it to for this episode, for examples, would be to use a 15-gallon, and that's the videos that I've been doing that go along with it. What I personally do is I'll dump the soil in the container, and I'll lightly moisten it. I'll dump the next bag of soil in there, and so I'm, I'm pretty much three-quarters of the way full, ready for my transplant to start this new no-till. At that point, we usually want to introduce some microbes or some mycorrhizae, something that is going to interact with the roots. And when I do a transplant is when I like to do that. So you add that, put the plant in, and then from there, most growers, they've got their plant in the soil, in the container. That's where we just get started. And I'll actually grab mulch that are from other containers or from straw that's been rotting outside or brand new barley straw, whatever it is. I'll sprinkle that on top. I'll put cover crop and sprinkle it down. I'll put some worm castings. I'll sprinkle maybe a little neem cake down there, some kelp powder. And then after that's done, I'll water it all through, and eventually uh, the cover crop will sprout. And then from that point forward, it's starting to become a no-till because the top few inches are now breaking down that mulch. There's uh, white, fuzzy mold that will start to grow up, not mold, but you know the the grokashi that we use or some of the other microorganisms will start to take over, the mycelium on top. And what's really neat is eventually in the growing season, you'll move the mulch back and you'll notice a matting of white roots just right there from your plant, right at the top of the soil, ready to feed, ready to grab water. And they're digesting a lot of this you know, matter that's breaking.
breaking down as your mulch. And so now you're totally set up to feed the plant with a top dress before flower. And so you've been vegging for a few weeks, you've got the uh, mulch growing, and you've got that uh, pseudo hyphae or hypha that is now developing on top of your soil. You've got the roots sticking up, and all of a sudden you're thinking, hey, I want to give a little top dress before I go into flower, make sure everything's there. Well, what's so nice is you hear people say organics take you know, weeks to start to see any sort of activity in your soil, so you've got to really plan ahead. When you've been gardening this way and you've got a mulch, you just move that mulch layer back a little bit. You put that fresh compost with some nutrients like kelp or neem down. We've got a top dress kit. You can follow that recipe if you just want to make your own. And uh, immediately by the next day, the plant shows a very visible reaction, and it's digging its roots into that top dress. And it's because you've trained it to start feeding from the top of the soil where that mulch layer is just like in nature. And so as you go forward with a no-till, uh, eventually there'll be less nutrients in the core of the soil, and it'll be more active on the top. And that's how you can just plug a plant in at any time. and It won't have any transplant shock. It'll just take off with growth. We've actually tested this. Alan, with his sub-irrigated planters, he'll do just peat moss and vermiculite and perlite and stuff, and then he'll actually top dress only. And so I took a build-a-soil soil recipe, and I deconstructed it, and I left all the nutrients and compost out. So it was just pumice and rice holes and peat moss. And I planted a plant into it and top-dressed all the nutrients with the compost, and the plant did just as good. So I really think that it's... It's easier to have the soil all mixed up as far as the delivery system, but the reason the no-till works is it doesn't have to be like that every time. We don't need to take our soil out, mix everything into it, and put it back because in nature that never really happens. It's always coming from the top down. So does the rate and then what will of... happen is eventually when you're watering, if you're sub-irrigating, uh, the moisture will hit the mulch as it tries to evaporate and come back down, and it'll create that cycle. Uh, and if you're top-watering, you're going to water through the mulch, and it's going to carry all of these top-dressed nutrients right down into the soil each time you water. And so the whole system just keeps working. Um, and, with, and with the top, and, you, and with the top dressing like that, are you uh, you are letting them sort of drip dry at the end, or you kind of always keep it wet, like you said, because otherwise you would you know. always keep it wet. Yeah, I like to always keep it wet, and otherwise the top dress, if it got dry, wouldn't deliver a lot of nutrients. It's really that moisture where the micro life lives and keeps breaking it down. And I mean, it's a dramatic difference. I've been in grow rooms where they were using our soil or using whatever soil recipe, and I'd grab the pot and go, oh, "Wow, that's really light. Uh, let's water it." And they're like, no, that's way too much water. I would never keep that much in there. Well, a few weeks later, we come back, and everything's really healthy, and they just had to relearn how to water. I've had the opposite happen, too, where they just water way too much. They're not used to the compost in the soil, which will hold more moisture than normal. And so they'll hit it every day like they might be used to in cocoa, and that's too much. So the biggest unlearning that we have to do, I guess build a soil really just tries to bring people back to the beginning, is... uh, not going that, hey, I need to hit it with nutrients every day. And so we don't want it to go dry as fast. So we build the soil to hold a little more moisture, which in turn makes our gardening life a little bit easier. And it just takes a little bit of time to get over the thought that you have to hit it with water all the time to get that explosive growth. But it's a fine line. You know, I've heard Adam Dunn mention before that if you get too much moisture in there and you don't have that air, the roots aren't going to grow as fast and the plant slows down. It's certainly true. And so when you're growing perpetually, some of these time things don't matter as much so long as you always have the, the right size plants to go into the next phase, and you can always have a few extra plants growing around. But, of course, when you're trying to bang down a system, you've got to be a little more on point, even in the organic setup. And so I like to do no work whatsoever, so that's why I do perpetual. If this plant's not ready, i got one ahead of it that is, and it eliminates some of the time factor for me. But um, 
Have you done any? Yeah, any questions so far? What's ha, up? Have you I, have you done any side by sides with any other companies that are out there that like you think are uh, potentially plug and play kind of systems, or are, are there really no available right now? Because I, I, that's kind of no, like, I haven't. I've done a lot of side by sides, just mixing different nutrients and different stuff together. Like even before I settled on using the Coots style nutrients for our soil. I tried a number of different recipes from TLO and Supersoil, and uh, besides the big name brands, just tinkering with different amounts, like doubling the nutrients, adding extra neem, uh, working with different products, and all in all, you can grow in any of it. It's really interesting to see that once you get the soil to the point where it's happy, there what happens is there's more limiting factors, and so I feel like if a soil company anywhere in the country does things right, they can have a soil just as good as ours. It's not like we're better or trying to preach that we make a better product. We're just putting better inputs from the beginning and trying to do a little better quality control, just how you would do it on your own at your house. So the way I look at it is a lot of times if you're getting into cooking, eventually you're not going to buy canned food. You're going to stop buying Kraft mac and cheese. You might make your own pasta. And so that's kind of the difference. And so I've duplicated other companies' soil recipes, but I've not done a lot of side-by-side direct testing. And part of it is because we keep our soil for so long. It becomes just managing a little bit of them, and the soil just evolves over time. So, Jeremy, I have a question, and the chat room has a ton of questions. I'm just tuning into the chat room. I apologize, guys, and I do have to plug my laptop in because you guys have a ton of questions. Uh, Jeremy, my question to you is, since you're talking about that nutrient density sort of moving <laughs> up and out uh, from the core uh, into the plant, of course, and you, you are you going to have to increase the amount you top dress, and how much will you top dress in these 15-gallon containers? I know you're saying a bit, so over, obviously yeah, not Yeah, these a are ton. great containers. Good questions. Um, I get a lot of questions about how much and what quantity. And what's nice about organics is that's not as relevant. And so, I, but there I must think be too little, right? And there must be yeah, way no, too it much. is. I mean, obviously, you don't want to dump a fifty-pound bag of nutrients on top of your soil. But I feel like once you get into the system, you can start using some some logic and some common sense. Of course, once you've done this a few times, and so I always follow a set recipe. And don't deviate from it at all. Just do the basics. And then from there, you'll be able to make up your own. But for instance, for a top dress, one of the rules of thumb is when we're building a soil, we add about half cup of each of our various fertilizers per cubic foot of soil. And that's really kind of a standard in the industry. And so when we have three, four, five different fertilizer inputs, that equates to one, two, three cups of fertilizer amendments per cubic foot of soil. And so as we're growing, if we want to do a top dress, I definitely would never add more than that. So if I had a, let's say a 15-gallon container that's two cubic feet, I would not want to put five, six cups of fertilizer on top. Right? Sure. That's a lot, or 10 cups. So I'd probably do a half cup of my favorites. I'd do a little bit of half cup of kelp, a neem, maybe a half cup of some fish. And then I would just cover that with compost and now here's where you don't you really don't need to have it exact because you're you're putting it on top of the soil so you're now no longer messing with the aeration ratio the roots are going to require that should be right underneath and so when you top dress you can go ahead and just put a couple cups of compost or if you happen to have access to a lot like i've got my worm bin i'll dig in and i'll i'll fill up the rest of my container until it's about a you know half inch or an inch under the rim and put a good solid gallon or two in that 15 gallon container and really fill it up the reason I say that is that for the most part, um, that's not going to affect the plant senescence so long as you're not top dressing later in the flower. I like to top dress you know, a week or two before I go into flower. That way everything's starting to happen and the plant can kind of say, okay, 
I'm going into flower, what resources do I have? Uh, one of the things you'll notice with a plant is it's not going to try and kill itself, so it's not going to grow a branch out to the left four feet if it doesn't have roots over there. And so that's why a bigger container sometimes will grow a bushier plant. But if you top dress early enough, I feel like you have enough time to train the plant that it's going to have everything it needs when it goes into flower, and it'll really work. Now, we're going to be adding a new soil mix here in the future that is kind of like our dream soil mix, meaning not just based on economy. It's based on, hey, if I had all the toys to play with, money to matter, edition. I wanted to add all the best stuff in there to create the uh, I want it already. I want it already, right? Yeah. You want it already. We're, we're messing around with that. And I'm going to actually have modern uh, cannabis or Antonio Bacchus talk a little bit about that because it's actually one of his recipes, and a lot of customers have been calling saying, hey, I'd like to duplicate his recipe. Can you make that for me? And I said, yeah, it's just a little more than our normal recipe. Obviously, we're going to add some extras. And that's about as plug-and-play as you can get. We were talking about, have you tried other soil companies that are plug-and-play? Um, I've noticed a lot of the other super soil companies that are on the market, if you want to call them that, theirs is more like a bottom layer, and you still have to go buy local potting soil to put on the top. Or if they have a total soil that's made, it may have ingredients that I don't like. And so I just encourage you to do your own research and come up with your own desires. So, Jeremy, I, I, mix, I do have a... I do have more listener questions I want to get to. I do want to do our uh, shout-outs real that, quick. We're going to bring uh, Antonio on a little later, so we'll talk about that. We'll Perfect. Uh, well, I want to do shout-outs first, and then we'll go back to listener questions. And if you have t- questions, you can get in in the chat room, obviously on adamdunshow.com, uh, and just pop your question in the chat. I'm going through them right now. Uh, so uh, first, of course, shout-out to Way to Grow, waytogrow.net. Uh, your number one source for supplies. I might go down to Way to Grow and buy a bunch of those Geopop bags and drop the Adam Dunn Show code and start a little no-till tent. That sounds like perfect, a perfect way to do things. Especially for your four-hour work week. That's what I'm saying. I know. That's your one-minute that, one, one, one grow week. No-till <laughs> is lazy. <laughs> lazy guy. I love it. I know. You're, that's your idea. No, it's just, you know, you why why do all the work when nature already does it better than you? I don't know. I th- and right now I'm thinking about uh, the, uh, the farm with Ace. It's like right, everything's so perfect for it. You know, it's like it's right there. It's there like you dump, go. Dumping your soil outside anyway. So we'll make a big way to grow trip. Stock up. Well, Use the way to grow like code when we check out. something about get, getting a difficult job done, just hire a lazy person. Yeah. Uh, that's really funny. Um, I'm going to give a big shout out, of course, to Incredibles Edibles. Uh, Ryan's got him up on the screen. If you come to Colorado, if you live in Colorado, I, I've i never recommended an Incredibles product to someone and have them come back and be like, oh, that thing was shit, didn't work. Ryan, can you chime in on that? Yeah, no, nobody. I've had other people come to me and say, this edible doesn't work. Yeah. Never before it's have never I. It's never, been, an, it's never been an Incredibles. Yeah, Adam, that's for sure. Adam, yeah, you ever have anyone be like, oh, that, that shit doesn't work for me? Only only Derek. D-Money. Yeah. Well, he, he makes it. He wants it stronger. No, well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Not only do you might complain about his own stuff. No, he would. He would uh, need. That's why. We, that's why they do the three hundred mil bars. Those things. Well, really th- that's what I'm saying. No, yeah. if you have those, he's happy, right? Exactly. So I mean, it, he's a firebird guy, right? So we agree. There's Incredibles. They've got something Mine. for everyone. Yep. Check them out. Uh, they're they're the best. Uh, also, of course, big shout out to Dark Horse Genetics, um, holding us down heavy. Uh, you know what to do. Download the app. If you haven't downloaded the app yet. If you haven't gone to the website yet, the app he was telling me, he always sells out of seeds within 24 hours when he does a drop on the app. He says it's out of control. Um, so download the app. Uh, he's definitely doing some good drops. Uh, of course, 
you can also visit the stores in L.A., in Washington. But definitely download the app. Go to the website, darkhorsegenetics.com. The seeds are available right through the site. And, of course, when it drops, you'll know because of the app. Uh, of course, we also have to shout out Elite Cannabis. Adam mentioned them before. Our buddies doing a lot of work with Mary's Medicinals are actually an official team now. Yep. Um, so Those products are available nationwide, too, right? So we're gonna go. We're gonna go through it all. It's Mary'sNutritionals.com is available. Is CBD nationwide, and it's all the Mary's products you know. So it's the CBD remedy oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they do the patches nationwide, but can you pull that up, uh, Ryan? Can you pull the Mary'sNutritionals.com? Boom. Uh, and of course, the Elite Cannabis Shop here in Loveland, Colorado, Elite Organic Supply. Stop by if that's uh, local to you, uh, Jeremy. You know those guys. He said that. You're able to do some sort of crazy rush soil order for him or something like that. Some custom gigantic soil order that involved trucks. Yep. Yeah, and as far as the industry grows, you know, it's always a little bit – I always take caution when dealing with big groups when they call for soil quotes because it happens a million times. The partner disappears. The money doesn't show up. You know, people are putting their dreams together, and Elite followed through on every promise faster than expected. Uh, definitely enjoyed working with them. So if – if their farm is anything like their business practices, pretty sure it's going to be a... you got to come out, visit us. Let's go visit the farm. So it is, by the way, on marysnutritionals.com, it is all the Mary's products. So that's the CBD 10-milligram patch, the CBD gel gel pen, gel pen which is 52-milligram doses, uh, the CBD compound, and then it's also the CBD capsules and the... Oh, sorry, the muscle freeze and the remedy oil. Um, and this stuff, all those topical ones, the patch and the pen... Uh, and the compound all penetrate the skin. So it's not like a lotion or something where it's in the top layer, but it actually gets in your bloodstream. And those are all available on marysnutritionals.com. And I think marypetstore.com is the link for pet CBD. If your dog's getting old, feeling in the hips, the eyes. My Boston Terrier, I know, was like last few years of her life not feeling so hot unless she came down in the basement with us. Uh, marypetshop.com. And Dave, if you're listening, let me know what that real address is. And we're going to keep rolling. And, uh, and, and it is marypetshop.com. And look, there's that cute build dog. And, and don't forget, build the soil. Of course. We're going <laughs> to end up on build the soil as the uh, segue back in. I thought we did. A.U.? No? Okay. And of course, we cannot forget bringing us this episode and uh, kind of fuel providing the fuel for an organic indoor growing revolution. Buildthesoil.com, uh, your number one resource for all this. Everything we're talking about, everything you've heard about, um, a lot of just straight information, and, of course, the video series that will be demonstrating the no-till technique Jeremy's talking about. He strapped a GoPro to his head. He's going to have everything from mixing it to harvest, right, bud? Yep, everything from mixing it, harvest. Uh, you know, most importantly, I'm, I want to cover the questions I get a lot of. Like, what do you do once you harvest? How does that happen? How do you plant a plant right back into the same soil? What specific steps do you take? And so sure. I'll cover some of those in the videos, and I can cover a little bit today, but it certainly helps to have a visual, have a plant in my hand when I'm doing it. So we got some time, so let's do some listener questions. I promise listener questions, and I see that Antonio Bacchus Modern Cannabis is in the chat room answering questions. So big ups, dude, and thank you for coming on the show. Um, we've talked a lot yep, on and Facebook, I, and it's it's really, really awesome to bring him on yeah, and have him talk his about philosophy, his philosophy. A lot of times, will like he'll answer questions very similarly to how I would. He yeah. might go a little more in depth and have more reasoning behind it, but um, 
if you've got questions and he's in the chat room right now, I would definitely ask because he's a great guy to ask questions from. So, uh, questions, I'll let you, uh, we'll do one at a time. Pueblo Cana asks, your thoughts on bringing in beneficial bugs and combinations of them? I just don't think it's necessary. Um, you know, it depends on your system. So, if you're trying to revitalize a farm that's just been pest sprayed every year and it's totally devoid of life, then yeah, you might want to bring in some stuff. I've used Arbico Organics in the past. Um, if you are in an area that's got a lot of standing water and you just get worse flies or mosquitoes or whatever than most people, there's certainly tools you can use, but I'm not a big believer in bringing outside stuff in. I don't add a lot of extras. Um, I inoculate with a couple of microbes, especially when I'm doing a new no-till soil. But other than that, one of the things I do is I'm kind of a minimalist. I, I really rely on the compost and the worm castings to bring a lot of that stuff in, um, especially when I make it myself. And a lot of the products we carry at Build-A-Soil, I don't use every time. You know, we carry aloe and coconut and a lot of other, I guess what I would call a plant treat. You know, you love your plants, you want to hook them up with something special. And I think a lot of that is more of an emotional connection. I've grown a lot of plants with just water only, so long as the soil was built properly. Um, still have really fantastic results. I, I, I tell people all the time when they call in, I say, good soil and water will take you, you know, 80, 90% of the way there. Kind of like in an Olympic race, the person that wins, let's say a sprint, he might be poor, you know, a fraction of a second faster than the next 500 or 1,000 people in the competition. So when you get into your own style and you really start to get into soil, I think it helps to add some special things, but I really preach that a new grower, getting into no-till, keep it as simple as they possibly can, build the proper soil, add a little bit of an inoculant, get a mulch on, and from there, try and keep it with water only so that at the end of the day, you can harvest, you can have a really good sense of what that quality was, you can measure your yield, next grow, have at it, add compost, teas, add additives, and see if anything changes. And from there, you're going to have a real-world experience to base your purchases off of, where I know a lot of people... They buy 20 or 30 products that everyone uses, and then, uh, you know, from that point, they don't know which one they have to keep using each year. Did this one really work? I don't know. We've used it every year. Let's keep using it. So uh, a basic soil and good water can produce some of the most top-shelf, high-quality products you've seen, and I, I think that there's a lack of trust there until we experience it ourselves. So another what, what big if you question from the chat. Oh, you got yeah, one I think the biggest problem that a lot of people have is that, you, you know, you go off the rails a little bit, and then... They just, you know, you, you kind of over. It's like almost like if if somebody puts you behind the wheel and then you kind of over oversteer it in every direction. Yeah. And just kind of like, whoa, I'm out of control, you know. So you start watering it way too. I, I didn't water it enough, so now you water it twice as much, and then you're way overwatered, and then you're like weeks out of out of whack, you know. And I think uh, that's probably the biggest problem, especially when you say bigger container size. If somebody starts with a, you know, forty-five. Uh, the, of course, anytime you say go bigger, everyone's going to go ridiculous. You know what I mean? Someone's going to do 800 gallons in their house and think that's the way to go. And obviously, we know that's not the way. To, that's not the way to do it. But in general, you know, people take it to heart when you say bigger is better. They might just saturate that thing. You know, um, but that's yeah. And that's usually I've seen the biggest problem. So it's kind of like one of those. I think that's where it, it's almost like yeah. The hardest part is the beginning. It seems like it's worth learning. 
it's worth going through that learning phase. You never have to do it again. It's like riding a bike. Once you figure it out, it's yeah. like, oh, that's where it's supposed to be? Perfect. So, and it's hard to communicate that over the phone or anything. You can tell someone, pick it up. How does it feel? So in my video, what I suggest is the moisture of our soil, how it arrives, is the least amount of moisture there should ever be in there. And so when you pour it in your container, you should give yourself a physical reference for how heavy it is. Now, you mentioned something, Adam. You said, what if he's using a 400-gallon container or something? Well, that's a lot harder. You can't just pick up that container and tell if it's working. So before you go into the biggest no-till style, I'd say it would be of a big benefit to do a smaller one and just see how it works for you. There are a couple of tools you can use. You can grab some, you know, in the greenhouse industry, they use tensiometers and all these different meters to measure the moisture for their automatic drip feeds. Sure. So what I do is we carry at our shop, I don't know if we sell them online, but here locally, we carry these really cheap moisture probes. And when you're running a bed, most of those beds are like 12, 16 inches deep. And so you can just put the moisture probe in all over the bed and say, oh, it's soaking wet there and it's dry over here. And it's like, okay. Part of that is because a lot of people do a big bed of soil with no mulch. So there's no moisture control and it gets really muddy on the bottom and it stays dry on the top. When it gets dry on the top, they think they got to water more. Where if you just put a mulch in, you'll go feel and it'll stay wet the whole time. And once you start to get into a cycle, you're going to know about how much your plant is drinking and you can really keep on that. And I would say that more soil is actually safer in the sense that if you do overwater just a little, it can buffer that. Sure. Where you get off the rails is just like you said, you're new to no-till, you go big or go home, you get all the soil. And because you've never done it before and because it's a new recipe, you might be questioning too many things. Is it the watering? Is it the soil? Is it this nutrient? Is it that foliar I did? And so that's when it's really hard. And that's where maybe a buddy that grows can really be a consultant. Um, a buddy of mine owns a company called Permalos, and he was able to help some friends for me. You can look that up. I know Antonio Bacchus. I'm not sure if he does any. But basically, the PFA, the Probiotic Farmers Alliance, while there's lots of info, some of us are there to try and help answer questions when we can. So community is really important in this no-till style because it's something that's you know not been done over and over. There's no exact system in place and then and then the other thing i was wondering also which which i think the traditional way of doing it is you know you get out your root ball and get get all your uh get your balls out get your your balls out get your root balls out exactly and then you uh try to save as much of the soil as you can and maybe mix it back up and then go back into containers and everything How, how are you how are you dealing with the root situation there Well, so that's a really good question. The roots, I love leaving in the soil, and part of it is they're going to break down pretty quickly in the soil, and they're going to create those pathways. So, for instance, in the soil, a root digs down, makes a a very small tunnel all the way to the bottom of the soil where it starts to grow. Well, when you plant right back into it, the next plant will utilize that pathway as sort of a way to keep the soil fluffy so it doesn't turn into clay. And this is why when you deal with a farm, you realize that all the topsoil being lost, turning to clay, you know, dusty it's because there's no roots in it there's nothing that's actually growing in it and they don't leave the root ball out there to keep it airy and fluffy and then when you don't mulch there's no new organic matter and so if you go on an organic farm that's been top dressing and no tilling for a long time you can dig your arms in a couple feet into the soil it's because it's constantly been mulched and built up and it's not been tilled down and so indoors kind of the same philosophy there Right, but I mean, a lot of times, I mean, especially with the smart pots, there's no soil left when I'm done. You know, I mean, it's just one big root ball, and so what? What would you do in that well, situation? Well, and that's what we want to avoid. Meaning, typically, that's what happens, and that's why that mental picture is there when you're doing too small of a container and feeding nutrients. <laughs> and what happens is that root ball turns into the whole thing's a brick. It's nothing but roots, and they're drinking off of these nutrient bottles really well. 
I don't see that happen as often in a larger container doing water only. Typically, it doesn't turn into as solid of a root ball all the way around. It's just a little bit different of a style. Right. And I'm not sure how to explain that exactly, but it doesn't happen quite as much. Now, let's say I were to harvest my 15-gallon. I was like, man, this was really root balled. Well, I'd still note what's in there. I know it was a good soil. And what I would do is cut that out, and I only pull out what I need to put back in. So, for instance, if I've got a clone in a solo cup or a beer cup, sure. I'm just going to dig out a little bit of the root ball. Um, some people are going to have a one gallon. They're going to have to dig out a little bit more. But gotcha. on top of that, if you're using any sort of product like a sprouted seed tea or if you're doing a compost tea, some people like to add that between cycles to help break down the roots and get after that organic matter. Essentially, it's not going to be a problem. It's actually going to be a benefit to leave without a lot of that stuff in the soil. And then each time you're done growing, my soil will be an inch or two lower than it was before. It does compact down. The mulch breaks down. And so that's what leaves me that perfect amount of room to do the top dressing. It's not like one cycle you're done and you're like, man, my container is still full. I can never top dress again. Right. It goes down a little. You harvest the plant and you, you top dress again. Um, I, depending on the container, I'll do a combo of you know a little bit of mulch, a little bit of living cover crop. Mm-hmm. But I don't want people to get too picky on that. You don't have to do that. You can mulch with... You know, anything you've got, it can be lava rock. It could be something just to keep the soil covered. Gotcha. I like using straw because it breaks down, and I just feel like it works really well. You can also water, and if you dump water on the straw, the straw kind of slows the watering down and dis- distributes it across the surface of the soil without splashing the soil up onto the plant. Sure. So that's helpful too, but essentially slower watering I think is important in this style. You might water a little bit and then water the rest of your plants, and then come back to that first plant and water it again yeah. and do that whole watering cycle a few times. For sure, for sure. I like, you know, definitely, so, uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of the the best way most of the time anyway because it, so many people underwater and then freak out and then overwater, just, just like we said, as far as doing, you know, the left hand, right hand, steering, oversteer. But it's like literally classic because people water think it's wet and it all ran they did it too fast so it runs down the sides and comes out the bottom instead of goes it's not going through the plant at all you know no you're 100 percent right and And the soil will especially a peat-based soil it'll get to the point where if it got too dry you can water and oh no you're flooding your room it's just running out the sides especially in a smart pot you're literally getting no water on the plant it's hydrophobic it's just pushing it out and if you did a transplant and that root ball was wet it might be just getting the one root ball wet and the rest of the new soil just staying dry around it. So watering slow definitely helps. Um, water till you see a little runoff, sucks it back up, come back, water it again. One of the biggest challenges is that watering and there's not a lot I can offer and help other than when I do my videos, I'm going to show you some of the practices that I take. And for a 15 gallon, it's way easier. And once you get it, you got it. So you can go up to 100 gallon, no problem. And there won't be such rapid steering problems. So, for instance, in a 15-gallon, you dump your soil in. Our soil is about 30 to 35 pounds a bag when it shows up. So, on average, a soil following our recipe should be a similar weight. That means your container is going to be 60 to 70 pounds, and then you're going to add maybe a gallon or two of water. That's another 15 pounds. And so the heaviest your your soil should ever be is, you know, 80, 90 pounds for that 15-gallon container. And so it becomes really easy. When you put your fresh soil in, you you lift the side of the container. That's the lightest it should ever be. Once you water and you've noticed that it's evenly saturated, you're happy with it, tilt the side again, that's the heaviest it should ever be. In between those two, as long as you're staying between those two, you should be fine theoretically. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, 
five being about how the soil shows up in the mail, ten being soaking wet, and one being bone dry. I, I aim to keep our soil between a six and an eight, you know, a seven and an eight, somewhere in that range where it's not soaking wet. I want some oxygen in there. But besides that, it never gets dry at all. And that's where you get the fast, lush growth out of an organic system. So uh, I hope that helps. I know watering is definitely a big challenge. It's definitely the number one question in the chat room. There. Once you get it, it just works. So. Uh, and, uh, I mean, we have Antonio Bacchus in the chat room. If you want to bring him in, I don't know if that's when it's time to do it. Yeah, for, I want to bring him in here agenda. in a minute. One of the last few things I wanted to talk Please. about are some other things that once you go down the rabbit hole of no-till, you're going to be led to a whole bunch of other paths. And one of our goals of Build a Soil is to be a directional sign, hopefully pointing you to the right direction. And so uh, there's always going to be personal choices, but I want to talk about a few things that you can start researching on your own. The other thing I wanted to be really clear about with Build a Soil is we make our recipe and we have our soil available, but we give the recipe away and it's because it's not ours. It was designed by Clackamas Coots and other growers doing this before us. So please buy everything local if you can. Totally make your own compost. Do 100% of this without Build-A-Soil. But I know there's going to be some weird product you can't find. And if at that point you'd want to go to Build-A-Soil, we'd really appreciate it. But definitely a big part of this is having a closed loop. So if you've got your own farm, you literally, after a year or two, should not be buying anything else except for maybe a few, a few plant treats or specialties. So um, yeah, one of the hard, things it's, that it's I hard, do it's is hard some local wild treats. harvesting. So if you wanted to make your own soil from scratch, I've gone into the national forest and taken you know a gallon or two from here, from there, under that bush, got a little forest litter, a little compost. I don't talk about it too much because I don't want to encourage people going to dig up the national forest. Break federal law and steal from a forest. People really are responsible and they've got their own acreage. You know, you can start to make your own compost, dig up your own stuff. Um, All, for instance, I'm growing chamomile and yarrow and all these dynamic herbs on my property. I'll grab fresh chamomile flowers from outside that have beneficial bacteria and I'll top dress that in my no-till system. I'll grow other flowers in there. And you've got this soil and you can use it and it helps that ecosystem. And so when I bring stuff outside to the inside, that's a lot of times how I pick up the beneficial critters and all that. I'm right, not going to go sense. get a sickly dead plant and bring it in, but if I've got something that's fast-growing, really healthy, and I can top-dress with it, certainly. I grow comfrey, I'll top-dress with that, but none of these are stuff you have to do. It's just what happens as you start to have more of these resources in your life. Yeah, no, it's um, The other thing... Uh, I wanted to mention again is obviously develop your own no-till style. There's not a right way to do this. It's just the the basics are keep the soil covered, uh, use local inputs, follow a proven recipe, you know, get the watering down. From there, you're going to get your own style. Are you going to do more compost teas? Are you going to do any foliar sprays? Um, Obviously, you're going to start to look at integrated pest management. That'll, you know, we have another show we did on that. You can look at the Adam Dunn show history. I think that one's pretty popular. So besides the wild harvesting, another thing you can do, um, I'll, I'll like to talk to Antonio about this, but one of the benefits of inoculating with his microorganisms is it gives the soil a kickstart. And when I use my cover crop, it helps actually fix nitrogen from the air. And so that's really cool, but um, when you start to bring other materials in, you can actually make your own indigenous microorganisms. And so uh, we've got some recipes on that. You know, you can Google that, but you can even make your own microorganisms. So essentially, at the end, you can have a closed loop, all your own compost. You're using your own soil. You're not buying anything from outside, whereas some people don't care, and they, they want to bring new products in. And it doesn't matter. That's your style. So um, the other thing I want to consider is the limiting factors. And so why soil works when you're doing a no-till. Um, I mentioned that there's usually plenty of P and plenty of K in the compost. So that's why we're not needing a lot of these bloom boosters. 
and then the only limiting factor from there is usually the nitrogen. And once you get the biology up, you can really get it to a point where the nitrogen is starting to take care of itself. And so then there becomes these minimal inputs where, you know, second season, you may not add anything except for a little gypsum for the calcium, which usually is depleted on our soil tests, and it helps buffer that potassium that's usually high. Um, so we do soil tests for whole greenhouses, and a lot of times they'll end up spending 100 bucks just buying a little compost and a little gypsum, and that's all they need to add back. So eventually it does get easier. It's just the beginning where you have a little upfront cost and a little bit of work. Uh, other thing, if you haven't read Masanobo Fukuoka's book, One Straw Revolution, it's seriously a very easy read. You could probably find a free version in PDF online. Go you know, buy it online, whatever. But that one is a philosophy changer. It'll really change the way you think. Um, another book to look at is that Ruth Stout book, uh, Seth Holzer. He's got some permaculture books that are pretty cool. Really people that push the boundaries of what's possible, like SEP will grow citrus trees in areas at high elevation, things that you don't think is possible in nature can really make it happen. And so the other thing that I encourage you to look at is uh, world record plant growers, the world record tomato guy, Orville, Orville, something like that. He's uh, Wilbur. He's got a book that is basically a no-till style. It's insane. He makes really? the compost. He puts the drip system in so you get the most amount. He uses cover crops. If you were to just buy his big growing tomato book, the world record, and follow that as a no-till process, it would work perfectly. Um, if you look at world record pumpkin growers, they're using compost, compost teas, mycorrhizae, bacterial inoculants. So uh, nowhere where you see the biggest stuff being grown do you see a lot of synthetics. And so it's kind of like, um, it's one of those things where it causes you to question, why am I using these? And why is yield always questioned? I think we're all getting better. And I think that the future of no-till is proving that yields can be on point, quality can be better, costs can be lower. And that's what we're all working towards, you know, and um, each person that's doing this is creating their own style and kind of adding to the system. So it's, it's really neat how we're able to all work together and build this whole system. I, you know, I, I certainly wasn't responsible for any of this. I'm just following those before me and trying to learn a little faster. So We're looking um, at some of these world yo, record tomatoes. These are fucking huge tomatoes. Like, no, that's a tomato. That's a big fucking tomato right there. That's a big tomato. Are you looking at the tomato? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, show. So he has to get on ladders. Like, it's ridiculous. He's able to grow thousands of pounds on one tomato plant. I mean... And he uses this exact system. He makes the compost very similar to how it would make it. He has a recipe in that book for exactly how to make the compost, exactly how long to wait to turn it, where to get your inputs. I mean, it's super simple. It's very cheap. And that's what he uses to just crush it, and he really does. He, his bed, he uses a mulch where he buys a bale of straw, and he puts these squares down. In any case, if you read it, it's basically our exact system. I mean, it's really cool. So. Big that's fucking tomatoes. Great. That's what the trikes are going to look like. Like well, every trike, every trike will be a tomato. Giant tomato. I mean, this guy's <laughs> plants, like you said, he's on a fucking ladder. Yeah, like two ladders. It's yeah, insane. Like and that's just all natural stuff. He's not using any fertilizer. And I swear, when you grow a plant that big, if it was all on synthetics... It'd be See just really there? hard to keep the pests out of there. It'd get eaten alive. Sure. It's tougher when you grow outdoor that big. It's like eventually you take too much steroids, you're not as strong. It's I just mean, the guy that's really putting at the time at the gym, really eating the healthiest food. That's where the real strength's at. And I think it's the same way in a no-till. Um, I've done some side-by-sides where we're actually growing in a more of a soilless mix. And I've, I've been frustrated because I'm like, man, that one's grown faster. Well, a week or two later, the no-till just kicks its butt because it has stronger, it just takes a little more time to put the roots in, to stack those cell walls denser, and pretty soon it just starts That's to That's the dude? Wow. No, that can't be real. 
this picture, this <laughs> picture. Can, no, there's this picture of like this one tomato plant. It looks like. I mean, that's in a greenhouse. Making like a ceiling above this lady, and she's underneath it, picking tomatoes off of it. Like it's, it's a like a ceiling. tree. It's a tree. But no, but it's a ceiling of of tomatoes that's above like, her entirely. It's, it's not a tomato just a plant, dude. That's killing it. No, that is not a real. That picture. is killing it with tomatoes. Not, they're gonna. Let's see what the chat room thinks. <laughs> Chat room. Tell me if you think uh, that's shit. a real picture. There's no Honestly, way that's that real. That book is super easy to read and it's really good. Uh, and it breaks down our whole system from how he waters and everything. It's pretty cool. He's looking at another picture. That's he's using Yahoo to search first of all. So I'm not using. I'm using Google. I was using Yahoo. Oh, there you You're go. Right. That's, yeah, that's Google, the, the Google's massive giant. Yeah. Tomato. So you go images.google. Yep. Type it. Yeah. And he always grows the. Uh, indeterminate vining types so they can get tall and he actually has a training system showing you which suckers to cut which is similar the guys that yield big in, in uh in outdoor or indoor you know growing cannabis they have a training system they don't just let the plant do exactly what it's going to do in a little right. pyramid a lot of times they'll bend the tops now if you're growing more plants and plant number's not an issue yeah you can just kind of let them do their thing but this guy wants to get one plant huge so he trains it in a specific system and it just crushes it but these tomatoes do not look attractive no, that's a tomato I don't tomato. think I would want to eat that it doesn't yeah, look are good. you kidding me it's like a gorgeous heirloom dude. no it does not look good that's what an heirloom it tomato looks like no that's the hydro Disneyland does something like that the picture you're looking at now oh, okay. uh, Disneyland has a huge hydro setup where it's like a ceiling of tomatoes oh, okay, oh that was the problem yeah, I have yeah. with that is you know you go to the grocery store their tomatoes all look perfect they're beautiful they're what a tomato should look like and they taste awful though yeah, Wait, it's so like part water. of the industry is you realize that tomatoes yeah, it is Epcot's record-setting really tomato trees. You can't ship them. So that is a real thing. It's just like a tomato roof. It's crazy. At Epcot. Yep, yep, yep. it's real. It's like a scrog screen upside down. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Wow, reverse cool. scrog. Wow. So go back yeah. to the tomato well, guy. Do, do we have any more thing? listener questions? Because I think I want to bring Antonio on. Cause He's I been killing it in the chat room answering a lot of questions. So, yeah, let's bring him in because that's honestly one of my biggest questions. I mean, it seems like he solved a lot of the questions. Uh, his he really kind of seems to have collected the best of them. I've always been curious about well, doing your own cultures and just keeping your own cultures alive in and then out of the soil. It's like nutsack holes. Well, and he'll he'll probably be able to answer those questions way better than me. But I'll tell you the reason why I brought his product on board is when I started, I wanted everybody to do it my way, you know, and say this just follow this, use this soil, use water only. But I realized that only a few percent of people would really do the one method. And so when we're trying to adopt and really make a change, get less bad runoff of these fertilizers, uh, you know, uh, have more people using the organic approaches, I feel like we can make a difference. And so I want it to be as easy as possible for anybody to plug and play. And uh, Adam, you mentioned overwatering, underwatering. One of the things that microbes helps do is help with that. It will prevent some of the root rot. It'll make it a little easier. So when you use an inoculant like this, it just makes it more plug and play. I'll always say you don't need it. You don't need any of these products. You can make your own soil, but... Certain products, I mean, you know, they make life easier, they work well, and so I like to reward those products. And for Build-A-Soil, it was a pretty easy decision to take on Modern Microbes because now my customers are probably going to have a little bit better shot their first go so long as they uh, inoculate and do things on, you know, on point. So I'm going to message Antonio right now and tell him to call in. He's probably listening, so in about five seconds he'll hear this. But I'm going to have him call in the normal line. Is that okay or should I do it? Yep, that'll do it, and then Ryan will add him into the call. And I'm going to take a second to shout okay. out Aqualab in the chat room. Hefe's chilling out, and he has been, uh, you know, we want to, of course, thank him and tell you guys again, check out Aqualab Technologies. Check out their rosin press, the rosin technologies. That's what's made all the rosin we're dabbing on today. There's some good ones in here. <laughs> That's why I say get some food. 
I know. They're closed at 25. Do you want to accept the guy in the chat? You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got to hang out. <laughs> okay. I got you. We don't have to dab all this rosin on the show, right? Here we go. He's there we in. go. It's He's in. in, and then you go get food. <laughs> Adam, you need food? You're hungry? <coughs> I know you do. That's the problem. I know you're going to crash. Good. You're going to crash. I'm good. I had cra- a big breakfast. That doesn't matter, dude. You're going to crash. All, this all right. Welcome. Welcome to the Adam Dunn Show. <coughs> oh, hello. Hey, what's going on, man? Not much. How you doing? Oh, uh, chilling. Doing the show. Hey, glad to have you on, Antonio. I can hear your voice. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, I can. Cool. We're all, all working. Right. Yeah. Sounds good. I guess one of the things I wanted to ask Antonio right away is, um, you know, what's the benefit of doing a bacterial inoculant like yours? You know, just as well as I do, I've been preaching against some of the liquid ones for a while, and I just said you didn't need it. Worm castings would be fine. And that's and so for me to come around and say, hey, use the bacterial inoculant, it's kind of a big deal. And so why do you think it helps in these same recipes like I like to use? Uh, one of the really big things is the use of solubilizing bacteria and the use of multi-species nitrogen fixers. So, like, with most nitrogen fixers, if you go in the store and you buy, like, uh, Extreme Tech has theirs, and it's just uh, Azoscillium brazilianase, and this like, single species is actually on the medium-low end of atmospheric nitrogen conversion. And when you have multiple species, like you know, the um, azotobacteria, cococum, and all those, you have more forms of these enzymes in the soil that are converting uh, nitrogen from the atmosphere, which is pretty remarkable because usually if we're converting nitrogen ourselves, it's the uh, Haber-Bosch process, which is what we're trying to avoid. That's where they're making synthetic nitrogen. But they're still utilizing, um, like where they do it, they do like 500 and something degrees because it's very difficult to get nitrogen to bond with anything. The bacteria does it through enzymes, just um, nitrifying enzymes and nitrogen-fixing enzymes. And by including both in one product, it's taking it through three steps of the nitrogen, like all the steps of the nitrogen cycle pretty much immediately rather than waiting for, you know, a very sm- small amount to be slowly converted through the atmosphere. And then with the solubilizing bacteria, you're taking previous sources, stuff like, um, I know you, you know, you have the axil and all that, and then you have silica solubilizing bacteria that utilizes molybdenum um, to break down silica, same with uh, phosphorus and potassium solubilizing bacteria. So in the end, you're using the same sources, but the flow of ions is much higher and the flow of nutrients in the soil is much higher. And because they can be a cohesive community and feed off one another, you can have this very thriving micro life where a lot more of the process is just taken care of for you. It happens much faster, and there is more availability overall. Yep. So this is what I was talking about. To simplify that, basically he was talking about solubizing bacteria. Solubizing is making it soluble. So I said in the beginning of the show, we have a... a container full of soil and all of a sudden you're like hey why isn't the plant growing as healthy well i know all the nutrients are there i put them in myself well they're not solubized they're not ready to be uptaken by the plant and here's where a fast growing plant can outpace the soil and so we want an advantage now when you're dealing with an old farm and the land is really beautiful and it's been working well you can take measurements and find these nitrogen fixing bacteria out there in pretty normal amounts now in a living in a soil you just made in your basement there's probably none might be a little. So when you actually inoculate in the beginning, you're starting to break down, and now you're not having to do compost teas every day and all these things to try and keep up with the pace of the plant. 
you have these very special bacteria that make a home and they get to live in your beautiful soil you made and they start to be on your team and start to go to work and help out and it helps how does it help with the over and underwatering because i mentioned uh, that previously and it's also important to me that people if they accidentally overwater they might be able to inoculate with this and help kind of clean some of that up it helps by way of outcompeting and actual destroying the trichoderma harasmium. I know people usually get a little bit afraid of trichoderma, afraid it'll eat mycos, but it uh, doesn't outcompete or it doesn't eat up any of the mycos that are known to associate with cannabis roots. So the benefit of having it in there is that it actually will feed upon these forms of fungus if they try to infect into the soil. So if you get like damping off or, um, you know, so it's bacterial or fungal, but if you get damping off, botrytis, fusarium, it has the ability to make uh, exudates that it uses to break those down into amino acids and uh, various compounds and you can outcompete what's in the soil. It's way better if you have it in there beforehand. It's going to be much more effective at preventing it than it is at curing it if it's gotten horrible. That makes but sense. we have seen it uh, do very, very wonderful things if you're catching it early. And uh, a little bit further on something you mentioned, when you talked about old farmland, part of the reason that it's old farmland at that point is because, you know, phosphorus has the tendency to bind with anything that's available around it. So you get these phosphorus reserves that are not useful. They're no longer in a plant-soluble state. So when you have phosphor, uh, phosphorus-solubilizing microbes, then all this old worked land can be brought back into a state that's usable, even if that did originally happen via synthetics. So once it's out or you start being brought back that way, you have the organic matter, you have all that, you cannot make the same mistake again and continue down like the no-till method so that that you know, uh, phosphor level and that phosphor reserve isn't going to build continually inside that soil. Yeah, and it makes sense because people add phosphorus every year because very small percentages are available. So then it builds this huge phosphorus reserve that it, it does cause that problem. And uh, it's interesting you mentioned the phosphorus, and we're talking about potassium solubilizers, all that stuff. Um, one of the things I see all the time is there's a reserve of potassium that's built up in organic soil, and it starts to cause CalMag lockout and, and, and or calcium issues that look like what I would say a typical CalMag issue. And so right. one of the things I have to tell people is don't do these bloom boosters and heavy K and P additives if you just use a microbe that can balance that intelligently. I mean, it's, it's not going to deliver way too much P or K to your plant. Nature doesn't exactly. work that way. It doesn't do extra. It doesn't create wasteful amounts for no reason. So. And there's already to. way more than enough amounts if you're using mm -hmm. anything like neem and karanja. They're there in wonderful amounts. Once they can be solubilized into a plant-soluble form, it happens quicker and faster, and you don't need to utilize any of these Band-Aid solutions. It's just already available for the plant. Now, I wanted to ask, okay. does modern microbes include, I mean, obviously you've mentioned nitrogen, uh, you've mentioned uh, uh, phosphorus now. Does it, does it do, I mean, everything, uh, obviously all your micronutrients as well, does it have a full range of micro-life that are prepared to sort of solubilize everything from the environment and from the constituents of the soil? Uh, yeah, we have a blend that will solubilize potassium, phosphorus, silica, molybdenum. It has your mycorrhizae already included, your nitrogen fixers and nitri um, nitrifiers already included, multiple forms of fungi and trichoderma to make sure that it's going to outcompete any um, unwanted soil microorganisms, anything like that, and it's uh, all included in just one thing. That was one of the kind of highlighting reasons I wanted to make it. I was really tired of buying a thousand products separate from one another when they could be done together in a controlled amount so that you can control the colony forming units over time, because it's way harder to keep. If, if you're very 
like detailed oriented and no one really needs to be but if you're just doing it because you'd like to know it's very hard to keep steady colony forming rates when you're using so many different products that if you know one runs out like if you don't have any um mycos that day or something like that it's it's unfortunate and so i wanted to have something that was just kind of make it as simple as possible make it so that it could do the widest range as possible there's a lot of things that haven't really been being taken advantage of in terms of like um Slabilizing bacteria isn't really offered by uh, any other product right now, so I wanted to see but that. But it is in the turf industry, right? If, if you're a million-dollar golf course, you're going to be utilizing, utilizing all these tricks to keep your grass perfect, right? Yeah, and they use the uh, – yeah, actually, yeah, they use the zeolite and all those uh, kind of fancier ways of keeping micro life sustained on the absolute bare minimum. And it's interesting, like uh, agricultural industries that are incredibly overworked that we see here in the U.S., they've begun to look at these solubilizing bacteria as kind of a godsend because if without this, there's huge sections of land that are completely unfarmable. And in the cannabis industry, one of the things they've kind of tried to demonize us with is our runoff. Like, how is this going to affect the rate of soil that we're going through when we already know that the earth is producing organic matter at a slower rate than what we're using it at? And how is this going to affect the runoff? And when you can start looking at beneficial runoff and recycling the soil, you're no longer contributing to that problem, and it's one less way that they can try to use something against sure. legality. Yep. And it's one, As one growers, way to keep the earth producers in balance. producers more than consumers, and that can translate into what you leave behind with your soil and your runoff and everything else. We can help produce a better environment, and we can be part of that solution, or, you know, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, no, and, and it's such a nice, it's a much better feeling when you know that, you know, your, the runoff that you're producing is actually beneficial compared to toxic and has to be hidden. And, you know, it's like when you see guys with, like, restaurants going outside at the end of the night and dumping all their grease down the, the thing. You're like, you're really? Draining, you're like, ah, you're like, really? People, people still do that? You know, like, what a bunch of dickheads. So some people just don't give a fuck, you know, and those guys would have hydro and, and that's how they'd grow because it's easier and who cares, you know, but... Yep, pull over to a dumpster, dump all your old stuff into it, and take off. Yeah, (laughs) cover your plates or whatever. And And I get it, you know. I mean, there has to be a way to get the job done. And so I'm not trying to say everybody needs to just grow organic. But for those that are like me and we're asking questions, it felt like it was harder to do organic than anything else because there was a lack of info. And so now that products like the modern microbes and we're able to make our soil, and then we're all trying to educate so that you don't have to buy all this stuff. You can do it on your own. It's pretty cool stuff. And I think it's a really interesting time we're coming into um mitch you asked antonio if it had everything required and they're like micronutrients all this stuff and i think one good way to look at it is it's like a domino effect if you have the stuff that's required up front it kickstarts that process and starts the domino effect that will lead into all the other nutrients you require in the soil so um you know it's just one of those things definitely i like to uh always tell people that with the bacteria, you have the ability to make it available. And then when you do stuff like SSTs that give huge amounts of enzymes, you're lowering, uh, lowering the amount of energy needed to complete the metabolic action, whether it's by bacteria or the plant. So by giving it those two things, you're doing all the work that the plant would usually have to wait to be done for it and just kind of making it as simple as possible. It was really neat, too. We started to get into a no-till. You're, you know, 10 cycles in in the same container. That's where we're doing an enzyme tea, a sprouted seed tea, a bacterial re-inoculation. These things will make a big difference. Maybe the first time you do your container, it's full of nutrients. It may not be as imperative to do a top dress because there's so much already in the soil. So you'll have to adjust a little bit, but what's so nice as you go forward 
and you have the right bacteria and the soil started off right, you really don't have to add much back. You're getting nitrogen right out of the air. You're solubizing some of the P and K and other stuff right out of the mulch that you continually add. And so it starts to take care of itself. And over the last few years of doing this, I still go through phases where I'm like, man, should I do a compost tea every time? Should I just do it one time? As a hobby, you want to do the best you can possibly do. And so there's so many variables. It's going to take thousands of growers to test all these variables and to find the best system. And I think it's going to come down to, you know, as we get closer to having laws change in every state, it's going to be outdoor, greenhouse, controlled environment, using the sun. And these systems are set up perfect to transition in that. And then, of course, the other thing that's happening is pest control. We have huge issues. In fact, I see uh, a couple people. I think I see Austin Sherman in the group there, and he represents a product that we carry that does, like, uh, enzymes for pest control. And so as we get more growers doing this and more people no-tilling, there's going to be new products that come out from new minds thinking in new ways to start to handle some of these problems. So I just want to encourage everybody. I hope there's a soil builder in every state. I hope that there's, you know, someone consulting and helping others in every area because eventually it's going to take that, like you said, to figure out the watering and to figure out these little nuances. But once it clicks, man, and like I mentioned in the beginning, once the profit margins start to get tighter in a business setting, it's going to be more important to not be wastefully spending money on that $100 additive bloom booster special sauce that supposedly affects the plant DNA, you know? Sure, and, and, and a lot of those things, it's like, you know, you, you, they're so familiar at a certain point, you're like, all right, that's like molasses and you yes. know, a couple other, you know, and it's such basic stuff. Or then you get that exact smell of the Dutch brand of, you know, uh, uh, micronutrients that kind of is across the board. Yep. You know, all of them are the same. And then one's a little more watery and one's a little thicker, but they basically have the exact same smell. And then, you know, then you start to get like right into that. Once you're on the, uh, you're right back on the bottle at that point, you know, it's like, yeah, it's weird, though. There's the human effect that happens there, and I'm guilty of this, too. Like, when I go, let's say I've got allergies or something weird happens, and I almost never go to the drugstore. I have, I don't even think I have Tylenol in my house. I pretty much just use cannabis and working out and drinking water and all that stuff to try and balance my health. But let's say I'm at the store, and I'm like, okay, what do I buy? This symptom needs to go away. My nose is clogged, whatever. And I look, and there's usually two choices. One's generic, and one's a brand name. Even though I know they're identical, and I know for sure I'm like, dude, I'm just getting the brand name one. I don't want any issues. This has got to get crushed right now. <laughs> right. And so I think that that happens no matter what the industry is. There's always going to be opportunity for uh, people to make a product easier, even if you can totally do it on your own. You know, I buy worm castings for our soil mix. I wish I could make them all on our own, but I just don't have the time to build that big of a project, you know, maybe in the next few years. So slowly you'll start to add more things into your, into your system. You'll start to take over more of the production. But certainly little things you mentioned you can get the dutch bottles and you can put your molasses and your kelp and you can go hey i think that's pretty much what i was buying before and so that's a lot of what no-till is about a lot of the growers will look up their favorite bottle and realize it's nothing but you know kelp and molasses or whatever it is and they'll just do that in the raw ingredients at a lot cheaper form all on their own uh, you can ferment your own nutrients from waste food you can start to do bakashi composting so there's so many different ways to do this no-till style that I don't care if you live in an apartment or you, if you live on 10 acres, there is a way that you can start to implement it. And, you know, we're here. You can message us to build the soil. We're getting busier, so I can't answer a lot of the most detailed questions, but we're hoping to put together, you know, more events like this on Adam Dunn Show, do more blog posting so we can start to answer a lot of these common questions and, um, you know, just keep it, keep it going from there. So. Oh, oh, sorry. We just had a little audio click there. Uh, Jeremy, 
what else can you tell us about the getting started with no-till practically obviously you've told us sort of the sizing you're thinking how much water do you find you're starting with and how much i mean you're talking about that first time being the most you're ever going to water it so how much is that yeah, I guess not the first time. It's not the most. I just what I'm saying is you don't want it to be ever less moist than how the soil comes. Sure. And so it's it's tough if you're even using a different soil brand. It's been on the shelf at the store for two years and it may be bone dry. So just use your best judgment there. But one of the ways that you can do this is when you were to grab our soil out of the bag, you could squeeze it as hard as you want, and no water is going to come out. But it'll slightly clump, and as soon as you let go, it, if you tap it, it'll fall apart. And so there's a consistency that you start to look for. Now, you're not going to be digging in your soil and grabbing clumps out because there's roots growing in it, but that'll give you an idea at least the first time where the texture should be before you plant your plants into it, and then from there you can kind of go forward. But in the video, I'll show you how much I'm watering for that one 15-gallon container, and that'll probably help, but I would say it's about a gallon at the most, two sure. gallons of water. And then I don't touch it for a few days. I just let that plant kind of get used to its new home. And then after two or three days, once it's happy, I start to uh, do some training. Immediately, I want it to bush out. I don't want it to just keep growing taller. Sure. Uh, so, so some chat room um, questions. What about EM1 and lactobacillus with the no-till? Yep. I see David's asking that question. We were actually talking about this earlier. Um, I don't use a lot of this stuff, and the PFA is really about making lactobacillus and fermenting your own plant nutrients, and it's one of the types of conversations that go on there, but I think that what we find is each time we learn about something new, we end up doing a lot of it for a little while, and then we find out how that tool works, and then eventually we know what it's best for. So for lactobacillus, um, it's one of those things that I make my own kefir. Sometimes I'll take, take the whey from that, keep it in my fridge, and if I'm feeling like I need a little help on some seedlings, or if it's a fresh soil, needs a little life kick, I'll add some of that. Sometimes I'll make my own lactoserum, follow Gil Karenbang, and maybe I'll use it once or twice in a cycle. Uh, I found it works really well when you're using a sub-irrigated planter and you have a lot more moisture all the time. So to prevent it from going anaerobic, to prevent the soil from starting to ferment and create that alcohol and some of the problems that kill your plant, you can put a little bit of lactobacillus or effective microorganisms in your soil and help keep it clean, but I'm just a big believer that it's not something you have to add back every day or all the time. If you do it a couple of times, I feel like it's enough. And so that's that's where I'm at with it. But I know people who feed with it every time, and their plants look pretty too. So to me, I'm all about where is that diminishing point of return. If I use Lacto or EM1, do I need to use it every day or just once? And for me, I've grown great plants without any of those, no problem. So I know they're not required. It's just how much do they help in your system. Um, and I think everybody should make it. Everybody should make their own lacto and experiment with it to see how cool it is because it's not just for growing plants you can spray it in your chicken coop to remove odors you can use it around the house for other purposes and so um just learning that knowledge is important but there i don't think anything is a must-have the only thing that i really i I wouldn't really grow without is that good compost the kelp and the neem i think other than that i could i could replace everything i'm using with something else and that's part of the style you know What's that, I, have a note, I have a note on that, actually. Um, yeah. I've, you know, I, I wrote my article a little bit over on uh, my webpage, Modern Cannabis, and yeah. on the uh, how often ruminant do you think, milk fats. How often do you think acid. that has to be done? Because that's why I do it a couple times, so I'm, I'm glad you're going to bring this up right now. Two to three times inside the entire flowering cycle or the uh, four times inside the life cycle of the plant. Most of okay. the EM1 studies that have been done 
there's about eight to ten that have a wealth of information, and they found that they had no greater return in terms of calcium cycling or any uh, exchange uh, inside the rhizosphere past that. But I do think that with its usage and its way of converting milk fats in that way, which allows for the earlier stimulation of the levitolic acid, which um, earlier they had mentioned uh, UVB light causing more uh, trichome. And the reason for that is because UVB light causes stimulation of the levitolic acid via the fatty acid biosynthesis pathways, which is your precursor to all of your cannabinoids. So same with EM1. It's another method of stimulating olivitolic acid production. So if you're looking for the most trichome to calyx ratio, then using something like that, even just occasionally, can make a large difference, in my opinion. And see, that's where I think the magic is, is using small amounts of things can make a big difference. But pretty quickly, you realize in organics, more is not always better. Like using three times the amount of neem, it might stunt your plant's growth instead of helping it. Uh, oh, you know, definitely. Using four times the amount, you know, using lacto every single watering may work, but do I really want to go through that much lacto and make it all the time to do it every watering? For me, yeah. when I say none, I probably do it once or twice, maybe three times. And so that's probably why I'm seeing good results is I'm, I'm not creating these traffic jams in my soil by overdoing every little thing that I like to add, you know. Right, and lactobacillus serum is quite acidic, so if you're overusing it, then you're making your rhizosphere um, and plant community work harder to balance the exchange of hydrogen. Yep, which makes sense. And one of the things we talk about in organics all the time, and we might as well bring this up since we got you on the phone, is, uh, and no-till, I don't pH at all. My water's what it is. I water with it. It's really not a concern. Wow, really? But I feel like really? if we were to you start just, with the soil, you, I was, was telling really you this the other day. That's, the that's, water was really far off. Uh, it would make the microlife have to work a lot harder to keep it in that balance. And so obviously we want to start in an ideal range. Um, but how do you feel about pH in a living soil no-till system, Antonio? I don't think that you should have to pH at all. As long as you have a good neutral water source and your soil has a good amount of organic matter and microlife, then same as you, I found that over multiple cycles, absolutely no pHing, the plant exodus control, the diffusion of hydrogen through the roots and into the uh, bacteria themselves. Some are acidophilic, so they have molecular hydrogen pumps so they can handle much more hydrogen. And uh, since like pH is uh, just the diffusion of hydrogen in the medium, they can control all that themselves really well. And then as you brought up earlier with decomposing roots, that's a source of lignin and carbohydrates for the soil, which means yep. you're keeping your fungi level balanced, which is really important for, again, the nitrogen cycle and all of that, which is really cool. It's almost like nature thought about that and figured out just leaving the roots there, like what happened is good. And so whenever I have a question, I try and introduce biomimicry. Now, it's not always 100%, meaning I've had people question me on that and say, okay, you're going to mimic nature? Why don't you just take one of your seeds and throw it out in the dirt outside and see what happens? Like, well, okay. Right. I understand that there has to be a little bit of a resource. Now, that's what different zones in the in the you know the world are. There's different ecological zones. There's different niches where things will take off easier without any help. But uh, to that question, I've done that. I've literally taken a clone I didn't care about, planted it in the backyard, and forgot about it. And it found a water table or whatever, and the thing just took off. It was phenomenal. I'm sure I could have done better. But there's that line. How can I mimic nature? with all of its finest points and still maximize that yield. And that's what I get a lot of questions about. For me, I grow way more than enough than I need, and it's just for me, so yield's never a concern. But I realize that we have to operate on efficiency. We're paying for electricity. We're doing all this stuff. We don't want to be wasteful of that, so we have to hit. 
at least you know an average or a high end on the yield side and keep the quality there and that's where this model becomes really attractive to the industry and that's where the soil gets cleaned up and that's where all the all the benefits happen more people doing this yeah, and it's, totally. and it's a lot easier to save $20,000 a year on food, too, like right off the bat. You know, that, that is real money you would have spent. So it's like that first year, it's a real bonus. You know, maybe maybe down the road you forget about that, but those first couple of years when you're thinking, hmm, I usually spend about, you know, at least 1000 to 2000 a month, every, you know, just, just on food you know, and additives. And, and continuing to buy soil. I mean, if you think a lot of the, a lot of the dispensaries around here or a lot of the grow ops, um, you know, they all grow with either soil or cocoa. There's not too many hydro ops, but a lot of them also have enough space to make 100-gallon beds and just toss them on wheels and have a veg in a flower room and essentially never have to take the soil out of that bed. You just you start a plant in there and veg, and you when it's done in veg, you wheel it out of your bedroom into your flower room in that same bed. You harvest it down, and then you plant new ones right in the soil. And a lot of dispensaries out here or grow ops i feel like have the capability of that with their warehouses so how much no, money they would do, that especially save? if they're planning ahead for a new facility and designing the door sizes and for really that. thinking towards the style i mean it makes a lot of sense and i know people that'll compartmentalize rooms so they don't even need to move it into a flower room they just have more isolated grow rooms that do veg and flowering in the right. same space so right. all of that's on the manager of the grow room but it does have its opportunities it has its drawbacks but it has a lot of ways where it could be really utilized to lower cost Especially, like you said, throwing soil out. It's just crazy to me. So much money. Yeah, you know why so we much do it. money. We salt it up, and, and then, then we're paying, worried about pests, so we throw it away. Paying per cubic but foot to have it hauled away. Right. Like you pay to buy it. You pay to throw it you out. Pay to haul it away. You pay to buy it again. Yep. Pay to throw it out And again. to think, like, if you want to be doing it right, like, I mean, we were... Uh, I mean, if you're buying something like Batch 64, you're not. It's not super cheap, you know? I mean, it's not... Like, that's not the cheapest cocoa in the world, so to, to think about just throwing all that cocoa away when you could just be reutilizing your soil is insanity. But why don't we reutilize it? From a standpoint of, let's say we're not no-tilling, we're just doing the normal style, why would we throw it away? Is the salty, right? Or maybe fear of pests and pathogens, right? Gets broken down? Absolutely. Essentially, or like even like Adam said, I mean, in a small pot, essentially by the time the plant is ready to be harvested, it's just root mass and, and little bits of Which cocoa. Which is fine when you're there. feeding nutrients, because yeah. the roots are what you want, and they right. take up the liquid. And it's cool, but... It's one of those things where you're like, there's nothing left, I'm just going to throw away and start from scratch. And here becomes the duplicatable model. I want it to be the same every time. So let's throw it away, let's get the next batch in. And then what happens after you no-till a couple times, you realize, holy crap, it it does work just as well as long as I add a little bit of a top dress. And And so that becomes the new system where you're not throwing stuff away. And then you realize, wow, there's all these spider mites. They're eating all the bad guys. They're hanging out in the soil and they're cleaning things up for me. And so it becomes exciting because now you're not thinking about from a fear-based I think you meant, perspective, uh, you're soil mites. From one soil of mites, not spider hey, wor- mites. Worst yeah. case, I lose. You know, yeah, soil mites. Everybody, everybody mites. thought you you, uh, worst you case, control the spider You have mites. one plant that has an issue, and in organics, I would notice that you'd come into a room and you'd be like, "Why is that one acting up?" Well, it it got a bug or something. Where in a hydro room, notoriously, you could lose your whole crop in one day, uh, two days. You know, depending on how unsupervised it was and how bad it really got. So. People have a question about uh, what's important in terms of your water quality. What, how should you prepare your water or treat your water before use? I was going to uh, ask the same yep. question. Can it just be? Okay, is that fresh out of the tap? Do I have to have a tall boy? Would yeah, you, yeah. Like you know, which which would be the most preferable? Yeah, I think it would be best to have a tall boy. That's you know, I use a ten stage water filter. It looks <laughs> like a miniature tall boy. It sits on my sink. I think you can buy it at Amazon for like eighty nine bucks. Basically, I just want to get some of the chlorine and some of the other stuff out, clean up the water a little. But if you had to use tap water, it'll totally work, Uh, especially here. Our water's pretty clean. I don't have much chlorine in my water. 
Um, but ultimately, yeah, you want to have a, a, the best water possible. I don't like reverse osmosis for living soil at all. Yeah. I feel like it's dead water, has no energy to it's it. Nothing and it's to it. Not right. got, it kind of can almost strip the soil and grab things out as opposed to adding to that sequence. Plus, reverse osmosis has wastewater that's really high parts per million. It's not good for gardening. So um, for me, I just like using a regular water. But consider this, outdoor with large volumes of soil or indoor with large volume, the soil is a filter. And so I really think that uh, using water in a living soil system is less problematic from using that same water that may have some pathogen in it in a sterile room. Because if that gets in and you get root rot and pythium or whatever else where in a soil with the proper bacteria in there, and we talked about modern microbes, all this stuff, it's a lot harder for uh, you know some uh, ditch water to cause a problem. And so ultimately, I just like to use a clean water that doesn't have chlorine in it. But really, if I had to, I'd use tap water and not worry too much about it. How do you feel about like rain collection water? Oh, probably the best. Yeah. I, I wish I did more of this. And I'm building a chicken coop right now. In fact, we're going to put gutters on the angled roof and put a rain collection system on it so we can self water the chickens and then right. my goal is to start collecting that for my greenhouse I mean, so, with, with the something color- I haven't done I'm always learning I'm going to add new stuff to my farm every year and rain collection is definitely cool well, I mean especially with, with here I mean I feel like with, in Colorado you can at least count on an hour's worth of rain between 2pm and 5pm not a lot of rain, yep. but at least enough rain. But that's to be only able since to you moved up. here. That's not an old. Yeah, but when it happened, like the, that yeah, one no. cloud. I swear, when yeah. in California, Dumps. when I grew up, uh, the storm would like sock in the whole coast because you're by the ocean. Out here, you can watch one dark cloud floating around, dropping stuff on yep. people, and pretty soon it hits your house. If that, if I'm lucky enough to get it hit me, I could fill up a whole trash can in ten minutes of rain. It's yeah, crazy. right. Yeah, and that's a, a whole that's a whole forty gallon reservoir right there that you have of pure rainwater. Exactly. Perfect. Exactly. And then from there, um, I'm actually playing with some stuff. I've not talked about at Build-A-Soil at all. But, uh, Mitch, have you heard of the water structuring devices? I've got a pretty cool one that I've, yeah, dude. I'm just playing with. It's Are they legit? Copper and it's got some parts from Germany and some glass balls in it. And you run the water through it. And I don't know. Like, you guys are talking about the taste of the Skittles, like if it's in your head or not. I don't know. But I swear, when I pour water through this thing, it's, like, more viscous and softer on my tongue and so i'm playing with it and what i've been doing is filling up my greenhouse reservoir by running all the water through it does it run forever is it like one of those things where like it cycles through or nah it's just like a eight inch long rod that attaches to the end of your hose and you just blast the water through it right so, it's, okay. so it spins it in some direction oh you know what we had uh the egg that ace loves that's a water structuring device now i know exactly the sort of it's not the same technology huh. But this one, we have one that, that makes uh, like a prototype that makes microbubbles, and it creates like a well, froth instead of yeah. a... Yeah. So micro-clustering. I think you'd show me that. Now, here, here's the reason why I'm interested in this. Water in nature coming down a waterfall and through a stream has more energy. More energy and more oxygen, and it's a different structure. shelf for months. Yeah, exactly. So I, don't, I don't know what the difference is, but it's real cool uh, to me that there is one, so... On the subject of foam, real quick, uh, the reason for that is because you're having something that's acting as a double-ended molecule, so it's a, a it's either an emulsifier or you have some type of protein. So with this, it would have to be an emulsifier coating it or something like that where you have electrical charge that will cause it because the emulsifier has a hydrophilic and a hydrophobic end, and the hydrophilic end, which is the water-loving part, goes towards the actual moisture, and the hydrophobic end goes to the gaseous phase, and that's how foams are set up and so like how they how true, they do it in uh, this is is uh, at least the device I'm I'm thinking of is it actually creates bubbles that are smaller than five microns, so the air is not enough to cause it to rise, 
and and it's still it's a bubble, but it's held in a matrix suspension. And oh, that's the oxygenating thing instead of the structuring. I think. Okay, so I this, remember uh, you. Okay, so then the, so, where the restructuring is kind of like I don't know if it's changing the hydrogen bond angle or what they talk about, but essentially it's it's the micro clustering of the H2O molecules is what they were talking about as opposed to the micro oxygen molecules. But either way, water is really cool. You can go on the deep end researching all this stuff. Uh, but essentially, to answer that basic question is don't use heavily chlorinated or really bad water. Try and get a tall boy. Do something. I think you'll, you'll be better off for it. What do you use, Antonio? Just use the local yeah, water. Do you filter you... yours at all? No, I just use local water. I just leave it out What's for that? a bit to let it evaporate. I just use local yeah. water and let it sit out. Yep. We're oh, nice. Here. Our water is awesome. I drink it out of the tap. It tastes great. So leaving it out. Uh, the other thing that you can do to kill the chlorine, I've heard Tim Wilson talk about this on our previous episodes, but adding a little organic matter to the water, whether it be fulvic acid, a handful of worm castings, something to bind up with that chlorine or chloramine, that's another way to deal with it. But i got to say, unless there's just stinks like chlorine, I've never had a you know a, an incremental, you know, just tap water, that, as long as it's left out for a little bit. I've never had it cause a, an issue in my garden, so... Sounds good. So water is important. Yeah, water. Really the water question is definitely the big one. I think Ryan may have pulled up the right water structure. The Wellness devices. Enterprise is the name. Of I found a few of them. Natural Action Technology Structured Water Devices. I kind of heard structured water was a load of crap at one point. So yeah, I I'd heard. <laughs> if you go to if you go to Build a Soil's Instagram, there's a video where I'm making a compost tea recently, and that's you can see the actual device there. If somebody cares. Oh, cool. Um, and I think that the name of the I know the guy that made it by name, and so I forget his business, but I believe it's vortexoptimizers.com. And he's not, I mean, I don't even think the website really has much stuff on it right now, but I just like supporting people in the industry that are doing cool stuff. And oh, that thing's It was cool. up my alley, so I bought one from him. And Ryan's playing the video, so it's, so you're saying it goes through this tube, and yeah, it comes. that's all, nothing special. And you feel like it just comes out a slightly different texture? I, yeah, we did side-by-side and glasses of water, and I was trying to do blind tests between my friends and just say, drink this one, and I drink that one. And one feels slightly, like, heavy. I don't know how to explain it. It feels, like, softer. Well, like definitely. Like soft water in a hotel or something, right? Yeah, I mean, sure, and, like, different. different bottled waters, like the, that Fiji bottled water. Yeah, they'll feel different, Feels right? different, so, yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to say it's totally going to be a game-changer, but it's gotten me now curious about what yeah. the heck the actual structure of water is, why it... You know, there's some videos online, and I don't know if they're bullshit or if they're real, but there's like, here's water in a bottle, and it's got no life force. And then here's our special camera videoing the energy of this water, and it's like glowing, and it looks like a star. And so I'm, I'm intrigued by that, and I feel like water is definitely important, but, um, you know, as far as it really goes down to, to nuts and bolts, just use clean water and, and living soil, and I think we'll be pretty good. Antonio, um, can you tell us anything about uh, the structure of water, how that, how that, what that means, how that works? Specifically with the structure of water? Yeah, like, I, I mean, is it like the angle in which things bond? Like, what, what, is that, what does that mean on, like, a real scientific level? I, What's the difference? You know, I couldn't tell you. I don't think yeah. I've ever read about the angle of bonding specifically with, with that. The most I've read comes from actually, like, doing uh, molecular astronomy. And there you deal a lot with foams and emulsions. And, you know, emulsions are usually where you're talking about something having created a matrix that has some type of ionic bonding and everything is being held together because it's the easiest way to hold surface tension. And then foam, usually, like I said, you're, you're looking at something where either an emulsifier or a surfactant is being used. And, you know, they're basically the same thing here. And 
that works pretty much solely on that whole water loving versus gas loving and then if you're using something that's like a fat foam you're just looking at proteins and all that which is why people say you know don't expect your cheese just because it's foamy to have life in it because if you have protein and amino acids when you add any form of oxygen to them they're going to want to make a froth and that's just by way of how a foam will set up and hold itself i'm curious if when you say that it's a micro foam if it's uh based off the uh layer fell in well, structure of no, bubbles the foam was in part of uh i think mitch was talking about a device that oxygenates water for hydroponic growing or things like I, that and it's yeah, a yeah. micro i had where i was talking about not a foam but just like a viscosity difference one of the things that I'll say mm -hmm. is when we had uh, Storch on and we had Faust on for the biodynamic episode, Yeah. Uh, one of the things that was neat is they talked about the vortexing energy in nature. And you can go off the deep end, go look up vortex math and all this other stuff, but if you were to just take it for the basics, his vortexing machine, that supposedly restructures the water. And if you were to just vortex the water for a while, it trains it back to the natural energy of how it would be out in nature as opposed to how it's stagnant. That's ex so, so so I had a machine at Dixie that was made by American Green and it was called the Jurassic Water System and it's essentially exactly what you're referring to it was a a big uh, metal uh, cylinder if you will that kind of looked like a propane tank but not a propane tank and I would drop it into my my reservoir and it essentially would suck the water through uh, these um, I I don't want to call them corkscrews, but they're you know like they're, coils? they're like coil units, and it would launch the water back out and it would swirl my water, and essentially I would have a an oxygen ppm meter that was oh. in there, and what it would do is after a half hour, it, it was essentially hooked up to what looked like a home unit for. Uh, uh, a home air tank for respirators for for elderly people who would sit at home and have the that gives them the oxygen and it would launch it down through this machine so the water would swirl with this oxygen coming from the machine my ppms of my oxygen would get super 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 high and then i would feed with that and they were saying that that's supposed to make it like jurassic water essentially is what they were and i'm assuming that that's exactly what you're referring to as well, no, that's a different. That's a different well, I, oxygenation. And, and a to is, yeah, there is a culture out there that believes there's more to water than just water. Yeah. So that is what I'm curious about. There's going to be some hippie magic out there uh, that might make no difference, but I believe there also could be products that might be right on point. And so somebody mentioned on the side, Gain, Gage Green Group, and they do some um, structuring on their water, and I thought that was pretty cool too. So. I don't know what it is, but when you see people that are leaders in the industry and they start to do things, I start to question it too and wonder why. And, and a lot of it, when we garden in a no-till process or in organics, we start to tap into our in intuition and we start to use our gut and we start to operate on things where we may not have an exact reason, use faith. Now, of course, if evidence comes against that, we're going to change. But in the meantime, to create these new realities, we have to try things, start to use our gut, start to trust nature. So. I think I actually just figured out it's a uh, hyper decanting. So they're using the Venturi effect, which would cause um, oxygen and uh, trace amounts of nitrogen to outgas because you're doing it in such an intense uh, Venturi shape, which is that whirlpool shape, and then that causes higher uh, hyper oxygenation. So it's called like hyper decanting if you look at it from the wine industry, and they actually yeah, like have a device that exactly you pour the wine that. through those. I have one, a Venturi. Yeah, and they actually have what? a device that's exactly a small steel ball, and you pour the wine over it, and it causes that inventory effect for hyper decanting. Yeah, that's right. Yep. That's just oxygen, and that's just bringing in an oxygen to uh, 
to sort of activate everything and get it all hyped up. Yeah, and it's actually yeah. called the Venturi, and I have one. It's so funny. One of my buddies is a is a cook in San Francisco, and he's you know him and his girlfriend are big into wine, and they say the biggest wine snobs would never use it. And then I know people that pour every glass through it. And so just like in our industry, where you have people that say for sure you got to do it, and people say it doesn't matter, it's totally dependent upon you as a grower to make these decisions in your own garden and. One of the things that I encourage you to do is stop listening to everyone else so much. When we get in the don't get information from radio shows. Don't listen. So yeah, you go. Yeah, don't listen to us. (laughs) No, but don't ask people that don't have that. I know people that ask their neighbor or their family friends that have never grown before, or people that have done it once. I'm like, dude, just be careful and make sure because when you follow advice, six months later, it may not turn out the way you wanted it. So yo, this wine, this this wine venture venture effect is pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, Jeremy, there's a question. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on biodynamic compost versus some other, you know, just non-biodynamic compost? Yeah, I, and I why why uh, is it different? Biodynamic is awesome. Uh, you know, if you look into how the process of biodynamic works, it's a lot of intuition and working with the nature's energy and utilizing a lot of these plants that were just super beneficial. And so one of the things I like to think about is the secondary benefits that things provide and so in the plant world it's these secondary metabolites and that's what THC and trichomes and all this they're secondary to the plant survival meaning first is it's got to grow second it can produce these other compounds and that's where a lot of medicines come from and so when you start looking into all this stuff you start to ask a lot of questions and so um, it kind of got derailed there but essentially yeah just kind of goes back to the basics you know and uh, chat room asked that we turn Jeremy up a little bit. A little bit? Okay. I can so do- with biodynamics, you know, when you're using all these special herbs and inoculating your compost with it, essentially you're getting some of these secondary metabolites, some of these unknown, really potential factors, as opposed to just NPK. And so a lot of people, uh, they take it as a base value. And the way I'll put it is this way is um, everything I've read in biodynamics makes a ton of sense, but it's not always 100% accessible to me. And so as I grow, as a, as a, you know, use my own land and as I grow as a business and in my own garden, I love to start implementing more and more biodynamic principles, but I feel like it's going to take a lot more time for me to grow into that and learn more about it. So that's how I feel about biodynamic compost. Cool. Awesome answer, dude. Thank you very much. So yep. it's 326. The kid's leering over the desk at me in a curious way. What's up, kid? Shout outs. Shit out outs. We need to do yeah. We need to we need to do uh, more more sponsor drops. Maybe yeah. We did one let's do show. exactly. No, it's time for a second round of shout outs, and then uh, Jeremy will uh, maybe do another round of listener questions, and then wrap it up. All right, big big shout out okay. to of course Way to Grow. Like I said, if you're in Colorado, you need your supplies, you need your lights, you need your pots, you need your tents, you need your maybe you're still working out of a bottle. You're not ready to go organic yet. You need your candy. You need your candy at the you register. Need you need your candy. You need 25% off on everything you buy. You just go to Way to Grow, any of the seven stores. At the end, they'll ask you what your account is. Just say Adam Dunn Show. It's 25% off. It's a sick discount. Um, big up to Incredibles Edibles also. Uh, Colorado's number one edible. I'd say the country's number one edible. I don't know. Like we said before, dude, I've never, Can't see it yet. I've never had anyone... No, they're on point. Everything's on point. But that's Ever complain. Until they're in all these states, and it's like one of those deals. And can't, say, can't say that. Can't say that. <clears throat> but definitely Colorado's and the universe 
The universe's best edible. We can still say that? Yeah, we can say that. I, okay. And I think it's safe to say out of all of the edibles that we've tried here and in other states, they're still my favorite. Right. For sure. Yeah. So, mm. We'll say that, too. Yeah. Big shout-out to him. In my universe. In my universe. Uh, of course, big, big shout-out to Dark Horse Genetics. Uh, like I said, folks, they're doing drops for not just himself. He's, he's representing. Ryan, go ahead and click on the seats. Uh, no, go click on the store. Sorry. So those were the Dark Horse lines that he just showed you. And if you click on the store, boom. There we go. So this is what he's dropping right now. He's got Franchise Genetics, Green Life Seeds, Ocean Grown, Pacific Northwest, La Plata Labs, Mosca Seeds, Flower of Life, Jaws Gear. He's working with a lot of the the top sort of up-and-comers. Um, and you can get them all from Dark Horse Genetics. If you download the app, either iPhone or Android, then you get the heads up on the drop. Uh, and, of course, we got to give our big shout-out to Elite Cannabis, uh, holding us down for a couple months now. Um, good friends of ours for a long time now, doing a lot of great work with CBD nationwide via Mary's Nutritionals. And that's that's really exciting to be able to say when someone reaches out. I'm sure, Adam, you get the question all the time. I get the question. Ryan, I'm sure you get the question. Can you get me some CBD? Friends. All the time. I mean, all the time, especially from from people who come to visit, touring bands, things like that. Hey, can you get me CBD? And even people who don't come into the air, people right. who just reach out. And the answer is, yeah, you yeah, can buy it we'll on the it internet. Yourself. Yep. And it's huh. Dave wouldn't do it if it wasn't a hundred percent. I feel like, uh, you know, he he's he's a smart guy. He doesn't he doesn't just go half-assed into things and you never have to question you know the potency of his the quality of his or, products yeah. it's always going to be what he says it is and exactly what he says it is every time well yeah sure. it's not coming from china it's not right. a bunch of garbage yep it's made grown here in colorado and pretty awesome and pretty, legit pretty genetics good. you know and the farm is a real place we've all been to like it's awesome and if you go to the hey, store Adam. it's yes. right there yes I've got people here locally in Montrose. You know, there's not as much cuttings out this way, and so CBD cuttings are definitely something people are looking for. Uh-huh. Um, people that are having issues, can I just refer them to this website to get some of the CBD stuff? Yep, the website is... For actual medicinal use? Yeah, so yeah. The, the website you can send them to is uh, com. <laughs> this is awesome, and they're using our soil, some of our soils too, so this is killer. Yep. I'm definitely going to look at that. I mean, and their prices are the same as if you were, were here and in Colorado. Dispenser, I yeah. mean, so they have the CBD patch that's 10 milligrams is $16, the gel pen is 50 the compound is 50 um, the best, uh, the most expensive, I think, is the remedy oil. So the but CBD that stuff is like oil. if you're dealing, and this is real, if you're dealing with someone who has Cancer epilepsy or no, tumors, this, this one specifically this for epilepsy. Epi- so the yeah, remedy is yeah. more of an epilepsy. I mean, it does. CBD is good for all those things, but I'm saying straight up, this is the one that there are news stories about this stuff. If you have epilepsy, Dravet syndrome, anything like that, it's it's like you can get it on the internet now. It's 125 bucks. Um, huh. Marysnutritionals.com and marryspetshop.com. Mary's Pet Shop. If you got well. a dog that's getting old, cat that's getting old. Right the now they only going. have the CBD stick on there, but still, I'm sure that that works just as well. And it's probably easier to give to a pet. Um, I know, like I said, when my dog was getting old, she definitely, all the things that she was dealing with, the stuff that you're like, oh man, weed's great for the eyes, you know, the hips, bones, as we just learned this show, like all that stuff. Um, so... Right on, and of course, Build the Soil, buildthesoil.com, bringing us this episode, and the massive Organics Knowledge Bombs. And don't forget your buddies there. Oh, yeah. Come on. 
Vapor shit. Brothers. Yeah, shout out to Vapor Brothers for uh, flying us out to Chalice a few weeks ago. We're flying did, me out to Chalice bike, a few weeks bike, ago. Did Bike uh, apologize? Yeah, he said he that he was not going to call it the Meth Friends anymore. Yeah. But shouts to them for <laughs> hooking us up with the VB2 unit. As you can see, I mean, it received a lot of good use this weekend. There was a little event here at Green Lab, so a lot of people were dabbing out of that and loving it. So, yeah, shout out to those guys out in California. Doing it right since 1999, I think. 99. Yeah. You can say that. I was nine years old. Wow. Yeah. Cool. It's crazy. <laughs> All right. So we are back. A uh, question about whether elite CBD is from hemp. It is legally hemp. We call it high CBD strains. It Less looks than like Less than 0.25%. You can yeah, they're like hand watering 10 acres. They're not treating it like a hemp farm. Yeah, they're treating it like no. medicine. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're individual plants. And they're, and they're uh, it yeah. looks like herb that you want to smoke. It just doesn't get you high. And I think in the, you know, as far as profiles and stuff, if CBD stuff is kind of strange, like you'll get stuff that has got the weirdest look and most effective. So it's more specific than uh, just going on, you know, stankiest herb. Yeah. I mean, I found one of the strains that grew best for me was uh, the, the medicine woman and it looked like hemp. It just looked like you were in a hemp field. Like you couldn't, there wasn't even really a nug structure to it. You know what I mean? Like it didn't feel like you could pop the nug off and break the nug up in a bowl after it dried out. It just kind of looked like, like what a hemp out. plant would be. Yeah, all super hairy and fluffy, but there wasn't much structure to it. But it grew huge and it produced huge and it was great. But I mean, people, it made it great oil and people loved it. So it's crazy because then the Torabora, you know, another CBD strain that that's like killer flower. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. So. It's interesting. I've never seen the remedy actually flower out, so I don't know. Chat room question just came in from Spring Hill Jack, and i got to say big up to Spring Hill Jack because uh, he listens to us from the U.K. like every week. It's like the middle of the night there, and he stays big up, up to listen to us. Hell yeah. And we stay late. Great. Big up. Yeah, big ups now. Is Come that what on. you're doing? Big up. Bop, bop. Bop, bop, bop. Yeah. In slow motion. Slow motion. Slow motion. Um, but Jack, UK. he had sent a bunch of questions to, for you to pass on to our guest last week from Greenhouse Seeds, Jan. Oh, we, we, he's, he'll be back in... Next week. Yeah, he'll be back. I'll, just oh, he'll, be back next week. Yeah, he'll be back next week. I'll be back Friday. So anyway. Yeah, so he'll be back. We'll, have him. we'll get him your questions. Don't you worry. He's coming in. We're going riding, so we'll have to be oh, here. Oh, man. Why don't you sold your bike? I fixed it myself. Fixed it. I fixed it myself. What all by it, myself. What does that even mean? I needed to have. I took a my battery connector was all fucked, so I had to strip my old cable and put a new wow. patch on, and then clamp it all down. Add some heat shrink on there. Reconnect that. Big, I had to boy. change out some of the fuses and retighten those in because they were vibrating loose. So, but no, it runs running great now. And now you don't want to sell it. It's out front. Parts, I never wanted to sell it unless I have spots. to. But like, uh, we'll, we'll see what that gets to. But right uh, now, I'm I'm fucking loving it. It's beautiful out. So no other uh, choice. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Uh, it's 3.34. We said we're going to 3.45, so I guess that brings us in the wind-up. Sure. Let's uh, wind her down. Wind her down. Uh, of course, we want to thank both of you, Jeremy Antonio Bacchus. You guys are such great resources to the community of information, of material supply, of good vibes, all that. Uh, your inspirations. Thank you both for coming on and, and for sharing with the audience. And we... I can already tell you this is one of the most watched shows that we've done in I uh, probably since the last time you know Jeremy you were on with Coot or something like that um, and and I know it's just going to be watched over and over. There's been huge information in this and uh, hopefully it gets more people growing no tell. 
Awesome. Well, we have an ADS uh, code that I don't want to forget about, so while it's on my head, I figured I'd share it. Is that okay? Yes, 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 definitely. All right, so if you visit Build a Soil after this, and let's say there's going to be some disconnects, some stuff that we didn't cover perfectly, and so I'm going to upload some videos on the website at buildasoil.com in the blog section. should be up by tonight, if not by the morning. I've just got to finish some editing. And that will walk you through planting, and that will start that 15-gallon no-till that I was discussing. And you'll watch me put some modern microbes in, put the mulch on, you know, how much I water. So if there's anything I'm not explaining verbally, hopefully you'll pick it up in that video. Now the next part that I wanted to mention is that if you wanted to try one of these, and instead of doing your whole room and you know, taking as big of a gamble, if you just wanted to do one container and maybe see what it does to your environment, or maybe you want to do multiple, it's fine. But I decided to put a kit together. I always get people asking, saying, hey, what should I buy? Everything. And I'm like, I don't know, just get the soil. And for some reason, I think I feel guilty telling them, hey, buy everything on the website because you don't need it all. So what I did is I put together a little kit, like a no-till starter kit. I'll eventually want to get a, a sub-irrigated one together, kind of like a victory garden. But this one for now, it's going to be 10% off, and it's already reduced price. The discount code is ADS420. The product is called the no-till starter kit. And what it comes with is stuff that we don't normally sell, like smaller sizes. So you'd get one 15-gallon geopot with handles. You'd get two bags of the living soil that would fill it. You'd get one build-a-flower top dress kit, which is like compost and a few nutrients for before flower. You'd get one bag of modern microbes, which would help you inoculate the soil to kickstart all the things we talked about. You'd get a half a pound of our cover crop seed to help keep that life in there. And then you'd get a very small bag of the barley straw, which would be enough for that one 15-gallon container and mulch. And then if you go to buildaswell.com, ADS420, on the no-till starter kit, it'll take 10% off. And so for less than 100 bucks, you have all of the stuff, wow. and a lot of it you'll have extra for your next cycle. Yeah, and that's, I was going to say, that's, that's everything that you need right there, in yeah. one kit for less yeah, than $100. Yeah, we sell aloe and coconut and some other stuff, but you know this is everything you need to get started. And if you use just this... You know, you'll really know the differences when you start adding the other products in next time. And like you said, if you've never done the no-till before, to just start small and do the basics and see how that works, and then you can kind of yep. derive from there to see which ways work best for you. Yeah, right. and a lot of people try and do a no-till, but they just go buy like a bag of Fox Farm or something, and that and that's fine. I'm not going to knock anybody's product. They make products good for what they're used for, but for doing a no-till, you certainly need a certain recipe. And so, if you want to make it on your own. You can just Google it, and there'll be a lot of different info. But on Build a Soil, we have a, a, an article in our blog on how to build soil from scratch in two easy steps. That goes over kind of the philosophy of our recipe. You can make it on your own and just get maybe the nutrients from us or whatever you want. But uh, the kit comes with the soil because we feel like that's the easiest way to get started. We put the Ollie Mountain Fish compost, the worm castings. You know, It's all made in our soil mixer. It comes to you in the two bags. You dump it in and get started. And so that's kind of our thought on that on that setup there. And Antonio, I hope you're okay. I'm not sure if you're still on the line, but I hope you're okay with me including modern microbes in that kit at that discount. I figured you wouldn't mind. So. Oh, totally. Yeah, definitely. Happy to have uh, more people check it out and do what they think. I have a quick uh, pest uh, question from a friend of mine who was, wanted to know about, he said that every year in California that they have these uh, uh, sort of camouflaged uh, caterpillars that hit them up, and this is outdoors. And he just was wondering if there's any natural pest control for cat because he knows Spina's out, of course, if you want to hit him up just to spray him. But, but he was wondering if there's anything because uh, he get bud rot and uh, basically everything goes, just goes to shit because of that, you know? That kind of, any ideas? There's a, a few species of bacteria all have to 
go re look up exactly what they were. Oh, but they control specifically caterpillars. Like Bacillus always. BT, BT is usually the, the, the go-to kind of thing. I guess it's just because it's outdoors. And, uh, I mean, I'll just tell them physical barrier is probably the best uh, thing you could do in that situation. You yeah, physical barrier. In my greenhouse, I don't get any of those. But right outside the greenhouse, I'll notice these white moths, like butterfly-looking things, land on the plants. And then later I'll find these little green caterpillar things just mowing my tail and other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for me, I do just hand control. I'll look at the leaves and pick them off because one of them can do a lot of damage, but ultimately you're right. I mean, I wish there was a, a better way. The products we carry for pest control, I'm not sure if Spinosad would work. I'd have to look it up, but uh, Captain Jack's Dead Juice Spinosad, it's a product that is pretty, I'm pretty comfortable using that d- deals with a, a wide variety of pests. So it might be worth looking into. Yeah, usually that's for like anything that eats eats your leaves like that. Literally, physically, just chomps on them. Swallows like, the whole leaf. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Like the mouth. Uh, I got a question for people in the chat room everywhere else. What have you guys been doing this year for grasshoppers? I've used some of that no-low bait in the past, but man, this year with the moisture we had, some of the people that have some outdoor grows around here, when they were small especially, just getting ravaged by the grasshoppers. I don't know. I know that um, uh, Ryan Laughlin has like part of his hemp crop a little bit taken out not you know not anything and the whole thing is that he's got 50 acres going so it was like just a little a little bit here and there but still yeah this year has been been pretty harsh i think all over i, I yeah. noticed it yesterday down south in the pueblo even lots of grass so i'm not sure i'm not sure don't chicken eat chickens eat them more chickens yeah, I feel like chickens eat yep. grasshoppers. Yeah, I, I do have chickens. I let them I let them free range, and that helps. They pick up the grasshoppers. Birds in general, I feel like eat grasshoppers. You can get venomless venom venomless yeah. snakes as well. Oh yeah, that's great. I was reading. I, I, I I'm going to blow this. It was either China or Japan, but there was one of the leaders back in the day saying, "All right, what we're going to do to improve everything is we're going to make a all-out eradication war on three pests. We need to get rid of these birds." These snakes and these bugs, whatever it was. And they went around just clubbing, you know, throwing stuff. Uh, they'd make bang pots and pans the birds could never land, and they'd just die from exhaustion. <laughs> well, what happened is the next year, they had all their crops were gone because of the bugs. The birds weren't eating them. Nothing was happening as far as the ecosystem. And so what they thought were their biggest pests, because they'd eat a few grains off of their harvest, turned out to be what was saving their whole crop. And so it's a great example of how organics has stuff we just to- totally understand until we you know, mess around with one of the variables. So if we don't have caterpillars, well, I feel like moths would usually carry a lot of pollen. Which is not what we're going for. No, no. I wouldn't wouldn't worry about the moth pollen. Because caterpillars turn into moths. Yeah, but moths don't. Moths just. Or butterflies, depending. Sure, but the kinds that eat plants don't turn into butterflies. They turn into moths. Yeah. Gross moths. Gross. And then you need mothballs that smell like your grandparents. That's gross. Oh. Oh. Bumps. Yeah. Hey, so. uh, Oh, yeah. So, hey, somebody brought up a good point over there. Kush Syndicate said no spinosad outdoors. And that makes a lot of sense. It affects the bees. I know other things I avoid for the same reason. Like, I'm not a big diatomaceous earth guy. I've got tons of ladybugs out in my greenhouse. And, you know, certain things, even if they're positive, can have an effect on the bees. Yeah. And that's super important right now. So just definitely consider that stuff. Yeah, no, there you go. Good, good word of advice. Zulu Priestess puts, put peanuts out. I think that might be for grasshoppers. Or I don't know huh. what, but maybe peanuts. What are the peanuts for? Sasquatch. Sasquatch. I don't know. Sasquatch. <laughs> Elephants like peanuts. So then elephants. you attract the you elephants track the and it scares away the bugs. <laughs> if, you get elephants, if you get elephants on your plants. You yeah. No, elephants are scared yep. of mice. 
that's right. Yeah, we need a, a russet mite scarecrow. That'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, that would be cool. A little, my, a little tiny one. That's what a peanut is. Yeah. Always looks like uh, <laughs> I don't know. All right, so, guys. Right on. We're at wrap up. Well, any more you user questions or anything? No, I think I think uh, chat room is just like to kind of dive back in and, and digest what what they've already heard, kind of take more extensive notes. Yeah, and we'll you know what we'll have to do is do a more detailed, maybe incremental, like just one part of the no till or whatever, and get all sciency on it. But I just wanted to bring everybody the whole example where if you get a good amount of soil in a lot larger volume than you're used to, you cover it with mulch. You use some sort of beneficial bacteria, and you follow a proven recipe. You're going to use less water, have a higher quality product. And then once you dial that, it's on you to start bumping your yield back up. And I know people that do fantastic. And so um, it's just exciting. I hope that anybody's listening to this and they were maybe a little scared to start or they eat organic, but they don't grow organic. There's a whole community of people out there that are learning to do this. And whether it's on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, get part of the community so you can start asking these questions and get plugged in. Yeah, let's just imagine that everybody who's listening is actually starting this week, and we'll kind of come back at it about you know two, three weeks from now, and we'll kind of imagine that you've already you've already started. Yeah, we'll give them we'll give them a week to all order their kit from Build to Soil. Yeah, Fuck yeah. it, I'll do it. Okay. Yeah. You want to do it with me, kid? And we can we can yes? and then we can and then we can have I'll uh, do it. You know, you'll have a much more de- detailed month and you know two months to kind of deal with at a time so be, i like it yeah and we'll all learn because everybody's going to have their own perspective maybe you're used to cocoa maybe you're used to this type and you're going to be able to say hey it's doing slower oh wow it caught up or wow it's doing this and yeah. all of those inputs are what really helped me translate this to new growers so the more i talk to you guys the more i hear about it, your experience it just helps our business help more growers so Perfect. sounds awesome Awesome. Well, uh, usual shout-outs. Ryan, any shout-outs? Uh, what do we want to thank these guys for calling in first? And well, well I, I did, but we'll thank them again, yes. Um, no, yeah, shout-out to uh, my beautiful girlfriend, Brittany, and my dogs, Kilo and Duke, and shout-out to my parents and everybody else that uh, listens to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. Shout-out to my amazing wife, Reese, and the little baby, Farron. who's not a little baby anymore. She's a little kid. We're going to go home. I'm going to go home. We're going to go for a walk. Likes walking. Likes rocks. 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 She, said she picks them up. She brought one in the other day, like washed it. It's like her little rock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she you got to get googly sh- eyes and put googly eyes on it. She's not in. No, rock. it's its own thing, dude. I had a pet rock. Just saying. Yeah, all right. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> shout out to my beautiful wife, Cece, who I know is waiting for me right now to get home. Luckily, it's only a minute away. Uh, baby Nick, tearing it up. He's, uh, yeah, too many stories. I, I, can, I, can do a, I can do a whole show. His hair's looking all long and skater-like. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah he's definitely, yeah, like I said, he's he's definitely a little boy. Uh, or big boy, I should say. Cause he he's a big boy, yeah. Yeah, big boys. Big, big, big boy poops. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ace holding down at the farm. And uh, Dave also. And the guys at the Hashish House. Shout out to them. Cheers. 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 Peace out, guys. We'll see you next week. Not sure what we're doing yet, but it'll be good. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.